if you do the following things, you're going to generally have a very high quality of health, high quality of life. Um, depending on the person, you would make them in more individualized, but this is the nodes. This is the things you want to shoot for. I have to be honest, I thought we were going to be able to talk the entire time about the Seahawks offseason moves. Uh, oh, just, set up where we're going. That's what I thought you brought. Just wait. We're, we're going there. Hey, hey, you beat our punchline. We're yeah. going there. Hey, we, you, hey, you beat us to the punchline. Get started. Going. Push the record, Dave. Let's do this. Oh, it's been pushed. Yeah. Is it pushed? Are you? <laughs> you're disgusting, man. <laughs> <laughs> you're, you're like, I mean, David, are you ready? We're already. Okay. Red, okay. Dude. Uh, on today's episode of the Darren Woodson Show, we have Dr. Andy Galpin on the show and i know ben is just salivating over this conversation we're about to have you too ty because you've become mr crossfit and hang i become a mr. bro snatcher i become a bro you become Andy. a bro okay so let me give you who dr andy galpin is he's a muscle physiology professor and scientist with a phd in human bioenergetics how many of those words did you understand? <laughs> Not a single damn thing. I just know he has a ton of knowledge and a ton, a ton of information to give us today. First of all, I need to start off with this because you, th- you threw a little shot out there about your little funky ass Seahawks. <laughs> so I need to start off with your Seahawks, right? So let's go back. Let's go back. How many years ago was this, Ty, when the, the game against the Super Bowl game and they had, you know, the opportunity to just hand the ball off to. Oh, oh wee. that yeah. was 2000. When was that? No, that was and you would know. That was Andy. 2014. Um, that was hey, Andy, I'm sure you didn't forget the Super Bowl game when we handed the ball off to Marshawn and he yeah. ran it in for one yard touchdown. And we won back to back Super Bowls. Yeah, that's the one. That exact, the one. that exact game and outcome. That one. That's right. Revision the, the outcome just yeah. wasn't the if same. If you're wondering, it is still in my syllabi for mm. all of my classes. Yep. About the back to back Super Bowls that the Seahawks won. <laughs> I don't, I don't have uh, a championship, but I have the animosity to a singular moment uh, when I was with the Cowboys, the Des Cotton game, right? So that was, it was a, it had a very similar feel like, no, 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 that no. was not similar. Yes, it, no. yes, it was because first of all, first of all, ever. and here's what, Andy, Andy, Andy. So we have two things in common. One, I learned the very beginning is that uh, you are at Cal State Fullerton, which uh, Lawrence Patrick Hill, my head coach in college, he's an alumni of. You know, no big deal. Uh, but also, <laughs> this is the Tyler also, interview. We are connected. We are connected to my third favorite football moment of my entire life. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to set the stage. So it's a it's a beautiful 66 degree day in northern Washington in Seattle, right? Right mm. on the sound. The, the wind's just a light breeze coming off the water into the stadium there. Fresno State? Uh, no, no, no. Mm. This, is, uh, this is Dallas. Okay. And uh, the year is 2014. Mm. The defending Super Bowl champs are lined up on the other sideline. Um, what transpires that day is an absolute ass whooping of the defending <laughs> football champs. So oh. I thank you for letting me experience that in your hometown against your team. Um, they Gosh. put up they put up a decent fight in the first quarter, but oh. thank you for giving me my third favorite <laughs> football moment. So thanks, Andy. Can I can I tell you an honest story? And I have told this many times on many podcasts, so you can go verify this. Okay. This is the God's honest truth. My favorite football story of all time that surpasses any of my own personal football glory. I was at a Seahawk game 
against a team. Let's see if you guys can remember this team. Uh, Darren, maybe you, you'll have maybe some memory here. And oh, the game was close. Going. I know where he's going. <laughs> you have a quarterback driving oh, all I know where he's the way going. down for an opposing team. Hey, this is a cheap shot now. <laughs> this is, you know what? No, here's the best part of the story. I swear. Now, I may have had a few adult beverages <laughs> along the way. <laughs> and I'm in the stands. And the whole game, I've been telling everybody like within a 20-meter radius that don't worry, you can't trust a rookie quarterback on the road in the playoffs. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. They go all the way down, and they're like, they everyone started looking at me like, oh, yeah, we're going to be fine now. They're going to kick a 15-yard field goal. We're going to lose the same game. I swear. I swear on everything. Mm. I yelled at everybody like, he's going to drop the snap. It's going to be fine. And I'm just screaming, he's going to drop the snap. Play happens. Of course, he drops the snap. Babineau comes, tackles him from behind, and I got poured so much beer on my head. Dude, never. I'll never forget that. The rest what of a call! Uh, hey, you know what? Touche, touche. Yeah, that was, that was that's fair. Job, <laughs> no, that was low blow, man. That was all right. Was that win. was that your? No, I was done. I was done. No, I was done by gone. two. First years. year out. Yeah. Two, second year out. Second year out. Okay. And, uh, Tony Oof. dropped the ball, bro. Yeah, that was rough. It was amazing. How, hey, how was that it week? Was how was how was that week at ESPN? I got blasted. <laughs> Stephen A was on me every like in my face every single day. The rough that was a, that was a rough week because I was I used to call me Tony the the this the the, the attorney the defense attorney for Tony Roman. That's what they call me, and I was pumping him up, man. Like he and he had a great season. Yeah. Yeah, Just got did. to that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That moment. All yeah. right. So, again, we're, we're here with Dr. Andy Galpin. And, you know, we want to hear, you know, how you got to the things that you're doing now, the innovation in human performance uh, and how the body works, right? And, and, and all of the things that, that our listeners and audience can learn from you. But before that, how did you get there? We, we talked about you growing up in the, in the Northwest, you know, loving all the Seattle teams. We, we sense your passion through the screen. Wish we were here so Darren could put his hands on you. But, <laughs> but uh, take us back, man. Take us, take us back growing up in the Northwest, what that was like, your football career. Uh, you know, you were, you were a good player yourself, played at the next level. But talk us through that, that process. Yeah, well, I think the answer is pretty similar for most people in the area of sports science, which is, uh, you know, growing up, I was good enough in sports but not too good. And that creates the perfect incentives, uh, incentives, there you go, incentives, <laughs> sorry, um, to where when I did things better, nutritionally and training and even a, things like tape and, and watching film, it made a big difference in my game. And if I didn't, it was going to make a huge impact. So people who aren't good enough, it doesn't really matter because you're just never going to get there. And people like probably Darren, they're so good, like you're going to go and play college anyways. It wasn't going to matter, right? Um, and so they don't always have the incentives to study every single little aspect where I was in the middle. So I played everything growing up um, from a very, very small town. So we were able to play football and baseball and basketball and, and run track and field and all that growing up and had a lot of success in those, both our teams and me personally. So then I was fortunate enough to go play uh, very small division three college football, which is about as, as high as I would have you know, ever gotten, uh, but still it mattered. Right. So when I did things better there, I performed better. If I didn't, things were going to go downhill. So um, I don't know a time in my life, I can't remember anything ever where sports wasn't at the center uh, of my piece. Um, my family, my the culture that I grew up in, um, I actually do have a little bit of love for Darren, to be honest, because, uh, you know, I grew up, I was a safety. And so, like, that whole area, I'm mean, near my childhood, right? And, and mm. safeties are what I always gravitated towards. Those are the people I wanted. 
to watch, and even more so than corners because of the physical nature. Yeah. So that part of it I really, really appreciated. The, the area I grew up in was the same way, right? It was a very defense-oriented first. It was, um, we will be tougher, we will work harder. Mm-hmm. We can't always be more talented. That's something under your control, but you can always outwork. You can always more, uh, prepare more. That's just, so that's a position that resonated with me. So that whole generation of safeties uh, through the mid-'80s to early-'90s was, you know, people like just relentlessly watched. Um, just because an ethos as a, as a position, that's, right. that's where I resonated with more. So, so did you play, at what age did you start playing sports? Were you like one of those seven-year-olds, third grade? Well, third grade tackle football for yeah. sure. Um, yeah. Sports, I, I don't know, maybe three, four. Mm-hmm. Well, youth I, soccer, right? Yeah, getting 100%. Out. Yep. I did youth soccer first, and I have a brother who's a year older. And then the, youth, the soccer thing didn't, didn't work out great because, um, like, we would play on these little tiny like 10 by 10 yard fields and we would score like 17 goals. Yeah. And the kid, and it's just like, I was there. I'm like, okay, let's get the ball in there. I'm just trying to execute as a six year old mm-hmm. and the kids are picking flowers. So it's just, I'm like, this is stupid. <laughs> These kids don't pay attention. They don't care. <laughs> like I walk out. And so then it was like, all right, football, here you go. So um, we were playing tackle football as soon as I can remember. Mm-hmm. And the benefit uh, of having an older brother was he had a ton of friends and a w- very large friend group. I didn't which was awesome because I got to just do everything with them. Right. So I'm playing on their team, even aged up, right? I'm doing tackle football, all those things when I'm this weight and I was very small. Um, so I had all those massive disadvantages, which was the greatest thing ever. Right. So I yeah. got to be involved in sports and, and against competition that I never would have because the kids at my level just, it wasn't, it wasn't enough for me. Mm. So it was fun to be able to compete against them and those guys so so was your mom and dad were they involved in sports as well or you know what was the family dynamic were you, were you raised by both your mother and father yep both my mom and dad they got divorced when i was young but they were very um, amicable mm-hmm. and it was a very very positive loving supportive uh, we were not well off at all mm-hmm. like I, I wouldn't say we were super super poor that's not fair i mean but i grew up on on food stamps free lunch like, that was a part of my life all growing up so again, I don't want to make that seem like it was worse than it was, but it, we were far from mm-hmm. any luxury. Um, but the support, the love, uh, the positivity was always there. And so that that part to me, like I never felt bad about being in two different homes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, they they were always on the same page in terms of support. So my dad was a very good athlete growing up. My mom never got the opportunity. You know, uh, I don't know if she was or wasn't, but she just. A girl in the 70s who just wasn't a lot of sport, mm-hmm. you know, in the 80s. So there was no chance there. Uh, but my dad was everything. Um, my dad had uh, tore his elbow his junior year um, of high school. So he didn't, back then there was no Tommy John. Mm-hmm. So that kind of ended his career. Uh, and there was no real options for college unless, you know, in the 70s, again, it was, it was big time or nothing. Right, yeah. Uh, but that was a big part of sports were, were everything to us. So um, that, that was really a family culture. And then we are, again, we were fortunate in the fact that the city that we were in was the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right. There wasn't much else. It was kind of like you took care of the animals in the morning and you went to school and you played football. And then maybe if you go hunting after, after football practice is over on the weekend or something, but like that was the whole city mm-hmm. is agriculture and sports. And Sounds like a pretty hunting. good life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was, I couldn't have been more fortunate. That's I awesome. loved, uh, and, and most of the kids that I grew up with were pretty much in the same spot that I was. So mm-hmm. Everybody had the same struggles. Everybody was bailing hay or, you know, cleaning uh, uh, 
cleaning horse trot, whatever we were doing in the morning before school, a lot of mm-hmm. times going to school. And then, um, especially when we got to like middle school and high school, mm-hmm. sports were taken very seriously. So it was a really nice support system where like mm-hmm. that was just normal. Mm-hmm. Um, so strength training wise, we had a coach who, uh, like recognized the benefit of that stuff. Well, and, how how like, old were you there, Andy? How old were you when, uh, this coach came on and you were introduced to strength training? 12 maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, it was for the high school kids only just for liability purposes, but he was the kind of guy, he's like, I'm never going to turn somebody down yeah. if they want to work harder. When right. you had your older brother. hundred percent. He wasn't even quite there yet, but it was still like, uh, they, they supported kids who, if you're going to go extra, mm. like okay. it yeah. was on, let's go. Yeah, like, right, they were right. never going to be the barrier. Mm. So we just got into this stuff. We didn't have any idea what we were doing, but, uh, for me, it was such a clear, when I lifted this week. Next week when I came back, I'm stronger. Mm-hmm. So it makes it made complete sense in my head of going like, okay, like this, why would you not do this? Mm-hmm. It just it, I couldn't fathom, and to this day I can't. I have more empathy for it, but I, I still don't. I, it doesn't compute in my brain why you wouldn't do these things mm-hmm. if your goal is to to win more, be better. Mm-hmm. So I, I just didn't grow up with anything different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that kind of answered my question. I was going to go down the line of when you had the realization that you did enjoy putting in the extra work behind the scenes, not just yeah, performance. Yeah, man, I would love to take credit for that. But, um, you know, my dad was a, worked in road construction his entire life. My grandpa worked in road construction. I actually got to work with them as a kid growing up too, right? So my brother as well. Uh, but everybody I grew up with, man, like, it, when I got to college, I put it this way, and um, I had kids, like, they couldn't throw a football. I'm like, you're a wide receiver in college and you can't punt? Like you, you've never changed your own tire. Like you don't have, <laughs> right. I, I couldn't believe the the complete lack of ability of these kids. I'm like, first of all, you're Division three, so like, like what are you, what are you really doing here, specializing as a slot receiver? Yeah. What right. <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you doing here? Uh, like, but how do how do you not have these basic life skills? And I didn't realize at the time, you know, growing up, that just everyone I grew around with had to do everything. Right. Yeah. It was just super normal for us. Um, and, and we honestly looked down. We were always a, a substance over style. Mm, and we, yeah. we would always look down on the flashy people that wore mm. extra gloves and like all that stuff. We we're just like, man, you guys don't get it. Oh. Um, so I just carry that along. And, and I'd say, I'd love to take the work ethic and on the focus and say that was me. But when you grew up like that, it's, just the culture. Why it, it's such an advantage to have such a healthy family mm. support system because I literally didn't know anything different than mm. outwork. At work, at work, right? right? And it was like, why? Because my dad's doing it. Like, my mom's doing it. My grandpa did it. Like, every, my sister's doing it. Like, everybody I know is, like, the neighbor's doing it. Uh, I'm waking up, and I see the neighbor's lights on the, in, the, in the barn. They're out there working already. Mm-hmm. Like, no one knew we had to, like, go work hard, go work harder. Like, I didn't have to hear these things verbally because it's just, that's what was happening around me. Yeah. And that's what people had to do to make sure they were fed and to make sure that they had shoes for basketball. They had to go work in the summer. Yeah. If you wanted to have new shoes for basketball season, like you, you better go bail hay. Like if you don't, then there was the teachers. Like just no one put up with that kind of garbage. Of like, yeah. well, like it was totally okay to lose. It was totally okay to not have uh, money or things or whatever. It was never okay to just be whining. Yeah. Right. To not take control and accountability. Those are just those are things that our whole community probably too much so honestly. But like they just you really got frowned upon around where I grew up. 
yeah. things wow. like that. So that's awesome. You mentioned you played multiple sports, and and I think we'll get into this a little bit later on on your opinion of of you know singular focused youth athletes versus multi-sport athletes but yeah terrible idea but yeah go ahead yeah thank you all right uh but talk yeah talk talk us through the different sports you did play whether it's you know football basketball baseball wrestling whatever you did um and and how those crossed over in you know whether it's you know toughness you know or cardio or you know uh change of direction lateral movements or explosiveness whatever it may be talk about how that helped you early in your career yeah so there's the direct athletic benefits that we can get into and the science aspect of physical development and what we call in the field, long-term athletic development. Mm -hmm. So there's a, there's a tremendous amount of research and science behind that. And then you can certainly talk about just the um, indirect benefits. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just the things like when we played baseball, uh, we still play baseball like football players. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) you know what I mean? Like, yeah, (laughs) it was about tough and about uh, like, like we, we were so stoked if we got hit by a pitch. Yeah. (laughs) Like we would do anything to just lean into one, right? Yeah. Because because we would do that and then just look at it and be like, what? Yeah. And, and it's, there's there's you guys have played sports. You know that there's 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 woo woo there. There's magic of being able to take like yeah, yes. I took the hardest thing. Like I loved it, and we I sprinted to first base, and our whole like yeah. dugout just was like yeah, because it's beneficial to us. Like we got to run around base now, and it was also just that was the the, the psychological aspect of like yeah. what? Like, what what are you gonna do here? Yeah. Basketball is the same thing, right? Like we're all a bunch of five, eight, 165 pound white dudes. Like, like we're not going to do tremendously well in basketball, but like we played it like that. Right. So it was defense and defense and rebounding. And like, you better believe when the ball went up in the air, there was a whole lot of butts getting pushed into a whole lot of (laughs) summits. Right. Like, and there was elbows coming and like, and that's the only chance we had. This is just the only chance. Um, so everything we did at track and field was the same way. Um, we just approached it like that and it doesn't always work because there's talent matters, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> it does matter. Yes. Well, but so psychologically, we feel like we always had that. And there was never like going on the road. Fine. Pouring down monsoon. Fine. Like you want to go and play in the Tacoma? Oh, fine. Like none of that stuff ever mattered to us. In fact, we always took that as like a, yeah, let's go do it. Oh, you want to yeah. go to, you know, cause we were a small school. I know in Washington, it was two A, right. Which is like one of the lowest size levels. Mm-hmm. And it goes all the way up at that time before it, sometimes 5A. We would always been like, we would have done anything to play a 4A team. Mm-hmm. Anything, right? A 5A team, bring it. We would go to football camps in other states and be like, well, we want to play that California team. Let's go, let's bring it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that stuff translates to life. Yes. So when it was getting a PhD, when it was getting a, a master's, when it's starting a laboratory on my own, whether it's to this day, right? Bad day, whatever it is, I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you lose. Like you can't always have that attitude. That's sometimes right. it's life wins. But when you have your first 20 years of your life set up like that, I'm like, and it, it comes through in my teaching. You can certainly see, you can ask my students. They're like, whoa. It's, it's, I'm like, no, man, like there's no, I will help you with anything. And I'll, I'll spend as many hours as you possibly want if it's in the right direction. If mm-hmm. it's because you've slept in or whatever, like, no. And there's no, there's no redos in my classes. There's no try agains. Like I go very clearly over the instructions. Any questions? No, boom. If you have any questions prior to deadlines, 100% I'm in. If not, it's in. Like this is a wrap, and you just you just have to have that accountability. It's the same way with my dogs and my babies. Like it's just it's the same thing. And yeah, um, so that stuff carries through big time. Yeah. And the nice part about sports, to wrap this part up, is it gives you immediate feedback mm-hmm. on that. So if you didn't have accountability, 
you've lost. Mm, right. Um, I love that. I, I've been using this analogy, honestly, for years, so I'm not just saying this because you guys are football players, because I use this all the time in podcasts, but it's pretty, it's incredible to me, people who don't come from football backgrounds, because in a football game, or even in practice, right, in between games, it, it's, not only is it common, it, the absolute norm is to head back on the sidelines in between plays and directly look and, and be like, why had that guy get outside? What happened? Right. And you have to be like, that was me. I read it wrong. Mm-hmm. Boom. Like, we have to figure out right now. We don't have, you know, I can't send you an email. Like, mm-hmm. like, I have to look you right in the face and be like, how did that happen? Is our scheme wrong or did we not execute? Like, we have to be able to diagnose that very quickly and very honestly. Scheme is wrong. Okay. Cool. Like, how are we scheme this now? Or is it scheme is right? I screwed up. Like, we have got to have that accountability, and it has to not be personal, right? Um, like, I say this to the – it's crazy enough because in the world of uh, MMA and the fighters I work with, this is not normal to the culture, right? So, that, so they want to, like, wait and kind of go behind people's backs, like, a lot of times. And I'm very direct like this, right? I'm like, you guys got to understand, if you're in the NFL, they're going to sit you down in front of your face and tell you, we don't believe you have a skill to be here. We're going to give you one more shot at it here, but we don't – like, we think you're gone. Whatever, like you know exactly where you sit, and you don't have to be rude or crude, but you have, people need to know. And then the same thing with the accountability piece and responsibility piece. Like, like why did that guy get aside? Oh, it wasn't me. I didn't understand. Okay, if you didn't understand, then it's my fault for not explaining. If you did, like, I don't really care. It's not personal. I don't dislike you. I could be in a screaming match with you right now in order to figure out what's going on. And then the, as soon as the next play goes, like, I'm not mad at you. Mm. We just needed to figure that out very quickly to understand mm. to move forward. So, when it comes to science, when it comes to all these things, that's we have to have those conversations, and we have to be able to look people and say, uh, face like, you screwed that up, or did I screw that up? What happened? Yeah. Explain it to me, and they have to be able to say, yeah, like, I blew it. I can't cover that guy. We mm-hmm. got to do something different scheme wise, whatever yeah. the thing is. So, <laughs> yeah, it's not always easy. It's hard, but that's what has to happen to make um, progression Progress. and. Yeah. Uh, do things well. So. Yeah. Right. And that's why I love hearing stories because it's so clear, you know, looking at your resume, it's so clear. I mean, that's just the culture you grew up in. You were going to scrap, you were going to fight, you were going to work. And that's yeah. why, that's what's led you to doing what you're doing now. So you get into high school, you're doing the sports. What were your goals? What did you think you wanted to do one day once you got to that level? Yeah. So, I mean, I knew I was pretty realistic about the limitations of a five foot eight, you know, 165 pound guy that's pretty fast, but not that, not, not that, that kind of fast, you know? Everyone runs a four six in high school, right? <laughs> for sure. Four <laughs> four. So we tell each other. <laughs> so the lies we tell. Yeah. 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 Right. So I mean, I know it's the fastest guy around, but it still wasn't gonna <laughs> gonna matter that much. Um. So I, in high school, I was like, you know what? I think I'm gonna walk on to UW, and I'm probably gonna get cut, but I want to just go through that experience. And if I don't make it, I'm done. Mm. And then a couple of years go by, and I was like, actually, I could I could go to one of these smaller schools and actually like play. Mm. Like mm, maybe that sounds a little more interesting. <laughs> and, like I know for sure now I'm gonna get. You know, now you get a chance to walk on. Um, so that was my like football goal. Um, but I didn't know career-wise for a very long time where I was going to land. Uh, even as a PhD student, I still really didn't because here are the things I did know. Uh, I, I saw that there were people in the sports realm, and I didn't want to coach. I had tried those things of being a football coach and stuff, and I, I just realized that wasn't going to be it for me as much as like I could sit through and watch a – Peyton Manning detailed videos all like I could go to the X and I was all day and be just super happy, but it's just, I, it's whatever reason it wasn't, I wasn't going to be me uh, for a long time. I knew I wanted something a little bit more, but I wanted to be involved in sports somehow. 
and I wanted to also learn more um, because the academics where I grew up with were very poor. I was, I was literally on a tractor or in the weight room three quarters of my senior year as a high school. Mm. So I'm literally, I was, I made the women's softball field with the tractor. Like that was half mm. of my day. And then I was in the weight room. And so I knew academically, I was just way behind these folks. Um, I, I just wanted more. So I didn't know what that was going to be. Uh, so I got my, got my degree in exercise science at Linfield is where I played. Mm-hmm. And I played and I knew sort of, I'm just going to run these couple of years out, just enjoy the process, play football. Uh, and I loved every second of practice. I was one of those kids that uh, when everyone was complaining, like, oh, we have to go do practice. I'm like, guys, we're going to play seven on seven. This yeah. is the dumbest thing yeah. ever. We this get is like, to. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right. like, we would go play, like, like all of us kids, we, go, we would always do this. Like, even after we graduated high school, we'd get together and, and play, you know, five on five, seven on seven, whatever. So I'm like, we get to do this every day. And it's structured. And we get endless reps. And we get, like, this is so fun. I loved every second of it for the most part. I didn't actually get along with only hardly any teammates, basically none, but I loved every second of playing football. I just loved all that. Um, so I knew something in that area had to, to keep going. I, I graduated and I, I could tell a little bit more elaborate story, um, but I got uh, the first kind of gig I got actually while I was still playing was at Adidas in Portland. Mm-hmm. So they had a, they were just kind of starting the corporate wellness thing, which is, big companies starting to realize how important physical activity and exercise were for the health of our employees. And if we could actually put a gym in our building and, or, or you know, co-pay that somehow, then we'll actually save money on mm-hmm. health insurance and things like that. You know, 25 years later, that's well, well, well known and mm-hmm. everyone does it. But this was really when this was getting going. So Adidas put one in. And uh, so I ran up there and I was like, okay, I'll, I'll run your gym. And I had to, I had to be there to open the gym. I think that was like 5.30 in the morning, and it was probably an hour-long hour, hour long drive, and I was still playing college football. And I, I just I remember I grew up with my dad doing construction, and we lived actually, I don't know, 90-plus miles from Seattle. So he would, he would have to leave an hour and a half, two hours before work every single day to go to construction and drive home the same way. So, like, waking up at 3 in the morning, 3.30 in the morning to drive an hour to work was, like, just something I was like, Expected, yeah. Expected, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You do it, right? So I was driving up there. I was waking up. And then, of course, another lesson I learned from construction is, you know, if you're 20 minutes early, you're probably going to get fired. You, mm-hmm. like, they're going to they're gonna bring somebody else in because there's too much wiggle room with traffic. If you get caught in one little accident, all of a sudden you're late to work. The whole operation is waiting on one guy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is now right. gone ski, right? So I was always a half an hour or more early. And I would sit there in the dark. Nobody's there, et cetera. And I'm, but I'm like, there's no way. While I was doing that, and I, what I started to realize was there was this group of like three or four or five people who were always showing up to the gym. I don't remember the exact time. We'll call it 5.30. But if, if the gym opened at 5.30, like 5.15, they're always there. They're waiting. And I was like, I'll just start showing up earlier. I don't know who these people are. But like, they want to train. Let's go. I'll get them in. So I started showing up earlier. And then they, they got really excited. So there's this little core of people that were showing up. And I wasn't supposed to be personal training them, but I'd go down there and work with them take them through stuff because there's nobody else around. It's dark outside. And I just work with them, work with them. Well, it turns out like three of those six people uh, worked at the smoothie shop on campus or something, right? Like, but the other three were on the executive board. Mm-hmm. I didn't know one from the other. I'm all just right. like, yeah, you're all getting whatever, blah, blah, blah. I, I probably figured, if I'm being honest, like there's a good chance here somebody is kind of important. Mm-hmm. So like, like to be candid, but no matter what, like I'm just going to go after them, right? Like they're all going to get, 
100% Andy, whatever I got. And I'm just going to get rolling. Uh, well, it didn't take very long before they're like, hey, we actually have a partner in Arizona uh, at a place called um, Athletes Performance. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this was with Mark Verstegen. So they sent Verstegen. me down there. And so I went down and worked with Mark for six months. And this is 2004, something like that. And, you know, I had NFL guys immediately, immediately baseball guys immediately uh, started going there. And I just realized, I'm like, okay, I did that for half a year. And I knew strength conditioning wasn't going to be my jam either. Mm-hmm. I loved it. I love sport coaching a little bit. I couldn't do it full time. Love strength conditioning. Couldn't do it full time. Well, well, and what was the reason? What was the reason that you couldn't do it full time? Yeah, two things. Number one, I could Okay, at the time, the paycheck was zero. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's another part. Like, I, I literally had no money. So I would leave my house in the morning, uh, Mark's house, that I got to stay for free. And I would just find as many orange trees along the way and just grab oranges, <laughs> have the le- leftover protein shakes, you know, whatever the guys weren't drinking, didn't have it. Like, I would just, that was half my diet either. Oh, wow. Mm. I didn't care, though. I'm like, whatever. Like, who cares? Yeah. This is, I'm, like, I was, I remember the first day I walked in, you know, and I'm 20. I don't know, 21 years old, 22 years old. And I've never met anybody famous in my life. And I don't even know anybody who'd ever met anybody famous. And the first day I walk in, I see Kurt Schilling. I'm like, oh my God. Holy right. right. And it's just like, now it turns out he was like my least favorite guy ever to work with, but like, <laughs> <laughs> either here or there. Right. Like right. when I open it, like come in the door and it's just got like, you know, all these guys end up working with that were top draft picks played in the majors for 10 years, Andre Ethier and Vernon Davis. And like, mm-hmm. these guys, like, I'm like, this is, this is really, really dope. Um, but I couldn't handle the, like you guys can see sort of my passion. Yeah. I couldn't handle working with guys that, that didn't, didn't have, have that it. same passion. Yeah. yeah. And you know, at that time, look, I don't mean to cut you off, but at that time, athletes performance was like the Mecca of training mm-hmm. yeah. right there across the street from Arizona state university. Yes, uh, like you said, orange trees all over the place. Uh, the party scene was happening. There was mm-hmm. a lot to do, and you weren't in love. You weren't in love with what you were doing at that no, time. No, man, I was – I wanted to be, and I, and I wanted to be there, right? And I wanted to go in and do the thing. You know, like, same thing, I was getting there. I'll show up an hour early before it's supposed to open. Like, what do you want? And nobody's there. All right. Uh, guys, hey, you're supposed to be in at 11. It's, it's 11.40. You're just rolling in. Like, well, what – Sessions like we had too many guys. Mm-hmm. Sorry, you're up. Oh, I get to, don't get trained today. No, cool. All right, I'll go back to the crib. I'm like, what? Uh, <laughs> you're getting drafted. The combine's a month away, and you're like a projected fifth round, sixth round, seventh round draft pick. What are you? Like, you you, you got a chance to be a millionaire, yeah. or work with me in construction next week? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> I couldn't handle that. I could not handle that. I just knew quickly. I'm going to lose my soul. Yeah. I'm just going to, cause my heart is going to be too far into this and they're not going to match it or be close. Yeah. I can't handle that. The second thing was I felt like those guys at that level intellectually, it was easy for me. It was way too simple because they didn't want to come up and like really understand things. Right. They just wanted to like take me through my warm up. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, well we've been doing this warm up for six weeks. Yeah, like I coach you up on a little bit of it, but if you don't understand it by now, I, like I get really detailed and I'm really precise with movement stuff. Yeah. All right. Like I just felt like I'm going to run the same, like, and then the next six weeks it'll be over and mm-hmm. over and over. And I was like, mentally, I can't. Mm. It would be enough. So those are the two things. That I, but I still loved, like you can see, like part of me loved it. 
Yeah. But the yeah. bigger part of me was like, you can't do this for forever. Right. Yeah. yeah. At the time too, as you guys know, strength conditioning money, like you might get 20 K a year. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's, it's a whole different thing. Right. It's a real career. But prior to that, it was like, and I don't know um, about that. So I, I knew there was more there academically. So I went back uh, and got my master's degree and I, and I still didn't know even going on my PhD. I was like, man, but here's what I do know. Like, I, I feel like I had a pretty good grip of the strength and conditioning stuff at a decent level. Um, I know pretty good amount about actual sport, mm-hmm. tactical stuff and, and stuff, at least what it's kind of like to go through playing college football. You get a, somewhat yeah. of a sense, right? It's not the same thing as, as these power five schools. It's certainly not the same thing as NFL, but you get some concept of where it's going. And I was like, you know what though? Like what I don't understand is the cellular and molecular side. Why are these adaptations happening? Why is this training program more effective than the other one? I know you're telling me it is, and I believe it, but like something has to be happening. There has to be a cause. And if I could take this background in strength conditioning that a lot of people have, get the molecular background that a lot of people have, I'd be one of the few guys in the world that have them both. Mm-hmm. And that was the plan. So when I finished my PhD, I still didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew I had a niche there where I had a combination of understandings and areas that like you were going to be hard pressed to find somebody who did. Mm-hmm. And I was able to basically market myself for a job and saying like, this is my vision for what I think a human performance laboratory could be. And, and no one really had those abilities. No one had the ability to go in and take a muscle sample from an athlete and take it into a chemistry lab, put it underneath a hundred thousand dollar microscope, and then also teach them how to squat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Right. All right. Like I can take your stool sample. We can take your blood. We can take your urine. We can do this stuff and we can, make really, really incredible changes in people in a number of weeks by just figuring out like this food is out this way, add this, boom, really safe third-party certified supplements, really all, you know, small changes. And you just see these miraculous improvements in performance by just bringing an actual science uh, mm-hmm. to that side of human performance. So mm. that's how I kind of got here. Yeah. So you mentioned in high school that, uh, you know, Education was not on the forefront of of either your agenda or your mind. How was no, let it? Me, let me tell you about my first semester in college, by the way. Yeah, and that's oh, what I want to see. Right. What was that like transitioning into college where academics were actually a part of your routine? And keep in mind, you know, you know the, the small private schools, uh, academically, they're not a joke. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I, I, keep in mind, too, even in high school, I think I had a three-point 3.4 GPA. So even in a school where I was doing nothing but wait, hold on, stop, hold on, stop, hold on, stop. You man. said you were a Come bad on. student. You had a 3.4. 3. 4. Come on, man. You <laughs> no, need to stop. To I got a 3.4 because I was on a tractor and in the weight room. Mm. <laughs> Those were his like, classes. I'm not, taking, I'm not taking AP. Uh, <laughs> like, like, Still though, my uh, my 2.1 is not feeling so good right now. <laughs> Just kidding. I think I finished college with like a 3.1 or something, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Which is barely enough to get into grad schools. And actually under under the qualification qualifications for most, I had to kind of work hard to get uh, around to get in those things. But no, I mean, I mean, I remember the first, like I have these vivid memories of sitting in these big lecture halls for the basic anatomy class. And you're just going over, you know, this tendon and ligament and where it inserts and attaches and what it does, the name of all of it. And I'm just like, like I'm loving every second of it. And I'm writing it all down. I just remember looking over and all the kids are like, 
Yeah. You know, right. like, this, I'm like, they're like, oh, yeah, we just did this last semester in high school. I was like, what? Did <laughs> you have an anatomy in high school? <laughs> How do you know this? <laughs> we had physical science my freshman year. <laughs> and like after that, it was football. And right. <laughs> what in the world? Uh, and I knew, like, I was like, all right, I'm in trouble. So I don't know anybody, anybody, even the guys, like I had a best friend in college that I'm still very close with. We took, we lived together. We took almost every class together. We played football together. We still worked together. We're, we're partners and a bunch of stuff. Um, and he was very, very, very smart. Mm-hmm. I'm not being hu- uh, humble here. Like he was just intellectually far more capable than I was. And I, I just, I remember like he would study for three hours and I'd be like, all right, we finish. And then I'd be like, all right, I got to do another hour. And then I'd still get an 85% of the test and he'd get a 93. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I just knew. And if I looked around at the other teammates, I'm like, they're studying for 30 minutes, right? And they're just getting through because most of the kids there, you don't go to Linfield because you're going to play in the NFL. Though we had several that did. Um, you go there because they're probably very smart. Right. So I, I was most definitely below average with those kids. And so I just had to really, really work hard. So uh, I never worked harder. I never spent more time, no more hours in a week than I did in college. Um, and like, you, you know what it takes to play college football alone. Right. Yeah. And we weren't even, you know, we were much less than that, but the academics, you know, taking chemistry and physics and all that for someone with no background, um, the only thing I knew was just work harder. Yeah. Right? yeah. Just to spend more time. Like, that's just the only way. So, you know, did, it, it, so. did it feel like hard work, though, at the time, or was it something you were just so no. interested in? You were just like, I just love it. I can't get enough of it. 100%. That's 100% what it was, right? Like, of course, I would have rather gone and watched the Seahawks game on Sunday, but Sundays mm-hmm. were wake up, eat a giant breakfast, take all your stuff to the library and we just didn't leave till it closed. Yeah. That's how we spent every single Sunday for four years. I can count on my hand, a single hand, the number of college classes I missed my entire college career. Yeah. Right. Like I just, there was no way I was going to skip class. I yeah. didn't have any room for error. Right? Yeah. So um, what, but why? I mean, talk to us why, what, what, what was the passion? I mean, for you personally, why were you so intrigued by the human body? Well, I think there's a couple of things. It's the human body one, but then it's also the, um, no one in my family had gone to college. Mm-hmm. Um, like kind of really. Right. And I was like, I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to drop the ball here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not going like, to lose this, this is, opportunity. Um, yeah, yeah. My brother was playing college football at the same time for another school, mm-hmm. but Eastern Oregon. So it was like kind of a junkie academic. And I'm like, man, I took on all this money and loans, all this stuff. Like, so you had something on the line too. It wasn't just it wasn't 100%. just like, yeah. oh hey, I just want to be successful and I'm driven by success. It's like, no, I got something on the line. Yeah. I got something to prove here. I've got family that I've got to prove I can complete this too. I've got financial loans that I've taken out on this. I've got to I've got to make this work. And you can see it 100%. in your face. Gosh. You can see it in your face all these years later just how yeah. much that meant to you, man. Yeah, yeah it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, but then it was also like, uh, like the love of it too was fun. Like it's like. Yeah. Oh, okay. That's why when I do this exercise, it feels this way, right? Like that's why when I eat this, I feel this way. So there was an interest because it has the nice part about exercise science is it's a direct feel. Mm-hmm. So it's not like chemistry where it is like, if I eat this, I'm going to feel this way when I perform. That's why when I ate that half time, I felt terrible, right? Yeah. Or, or felt great or whatever it is. So it's, uh, there, there's direct translation there, but then it was the other stuff, which is the real foundation, right? Mm-hmm. Which is like, I can't even really get into it. Like I'm still too emotional about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, all right, like I'm going to be here and, uh, like I'm going to, 
all you other people that came from some advantages and stuff, cool, cool, cool. Like, but let me show you. Let me show you. Let me show you. Yeah, right. And um, so it, honestly, it didn't matter what class it was. Like, love or yeah. hate the class. Like, it wasn't gonna matter to me. Yeah. Because I was, I was not gonna, not gonna get out of there without everything. I yeah. So you talked about getting into strength training early. So before you got the formal education that you started really in college. Were you just that technician in the weight room and just diligent? I mean, did you love physically lifting weights or did you love the understanding of it? The physical part for sure. Okay. I'm not super operations based, mm -hmm. so I don't have a notebook that goes back to when I was 12 of all the lifts and stuff I've done. Uh, that's not my skill set. I'm more of a creative. Okay. Right? So those types of things. Um, so we, for that, in that phase of my life, lifting was the physical. Okay. It was, okay, like I can literally see this muscle now that I couldn't see last week. Mm. Um, now when I do a vertical jump, now it's 25 inches. Now it's 27 inches. Now it's 29. Like, and the numbers just keep going up. Right. Mm. So it's clearly working. Um, the physical nature of it was, was again, something I identified with because it feels incredible, right? The, the rush, the, all that, the performance is addicting. That part of it. I loved, we had no guidance <laughs> whatsoever about what we were doing. Um, I didn't have access. There was no internet, like literally no internet. Right. People say that, but I'm like, no, no, not like I had a cell phone. Like, literally, it didn't exist. <laughs> right? Like, there wasn't a thing called the internet. You couldn't go to, like, we didn't have a library at school. Mm -hmm. And there was no library in our area that I could go to that had anything like this. So uh, it was just, all right, uh, maybe my dad would pick up, like, a, uh, some sort of muscle development magazine, and there'd be a workout in there. Uh, but I would just write it down on a note card, put it on the wall, and I would just do that, right? Just do it. And then... Eventually in high school, we had kind of a program that my coach got from probably Bigger, Faster, Stronger. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. We probably had that that he, he bought or something and got at a clinic, and we all just did that. Uh, but by the time I was probably a senior, then there was a lot of experimentation, and there was a lot of, okay, I understand the thing here. And I, I remember when I was doing, like, sets of 10, okay, cool. When we started doing sets of three, I felt this, okay, so I wonder if here, and, and there was a lot of questioning um, and a lot of, of understanding there, and then a lot of manipulation like what happens when i added more sets to here like well that turned out terrible okay I, I, this is probably why i started experimenting with all kinds of stuff bands and chains and balls like just all kinds of other things because I, I had an idea of what we we're trying to accomplish right but i didn't know what was going on so so you innately had this like scientific method already in your head like uh, all right like i'm gonna see what this does and i'm gonna try it out and i'm gonna test it and i'm gonna see what the results are and then i'm gonna retest it and i'm gonna change this and i, I mean you were already wired that way as an a, a, a as a kid yeah i'd say just a little bit um like again my, we don't come from a science background right right my parents to outline the scientific method but without even knowing that you were doing yeah. it right you yeah, already I, you already operated that way i think honestly like you can call it a scientific background, but I think it's just basic problem solving. Mm -hmm. And the culture that I come up with, you know, if, you, if you're out in the field and the fence is broken, you, you better figure it out right now because the cows are going to get out. Mm -hmm. right. And you can't try. So it's just problem solving and going, okay, like I pulled that, that didn't work. Mm -hmm. All right, like pull this, like what's going to happen? Like you better think through how the thing is working mm -hmm. very quickly as best you can. And then and rather than just trying to cover up a symptom. Mm -hmm. uh, because if you do that, and you, the fence gets up, and then it's not in there sound, and a cow hits it, like, now we have problems, right? So you have to be able to think through the process and how things work. Mm -hmm. And I don't have an engineering mind, but that stuff doesn't sit naturally to me. So I just had to spend more time thinking, which is why I found, I think, kind of a niche in my career, which is um, rather than knowing things, I'm better at the thinking through things. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah. So you 
decide, okay, I'm going to go to my master's. I'm, I'm enjoying the process of learning, enjoying the process of studying. Um, you go do your internship, but then you decide, hey, I'm going to go back to get my master's um, and your doctorate. Talk us through what doctorate was like compared to, you know, your, your undergrad. Um, well, so as a doctoral student, I was, you know, instead of playing football, I was fighting, mm. which was amazing, right? So uh, jiu-jitsu and MMA and all those things mm. were now a part of my life because I could play those. I will take us back to that first, yeah. thing, how you got into uh, to the MMA jiu-jitsu side. Yeah, so the whole transition, football is over. Mm-hmm. Um, I had taught myself how to, what we would call it, Olympic weightlifting, right? Weightlifting mm-hmm. in the sport. Um, as a college football player, even as a high school student, I started to try to figure out how to snatch and taught all those things to myself. And then uh, when I started my master's in Memphis, I was like, I'm going to start training, competing in Olympic weightlifting competitions. And I had some other friends that were interested in the same thing, so we started doing that. By the time... After my first year of my master's student, my, my friend was like, hey, we should start a gym. Uh, we should start one of these CrossFit gyms. And CrossFit was very new at the time, and I didn't like and I still don't really care for CrossFit, quote-unquote. But it was like, okay, a gym where we can have weights and kettlebells and dumbbells, and we don't have to have machines and treadmills, oh. and people will show up with barbells. Mm-hmm. Like, let's do it. And this was pretty early in CrossFit space, so we started CrossFit in Memphis. And um, that allowed us to, to do the type of training we wanted to do. And at the time, our first clients were the local fighters. So there was a, a Memphis Judo and Jiu-Jitsu, a lot of really talented fighters out of there. So they started coming over. By the time I, was, I had finished and I knew I was going to leave to go do my PhD, um, one of the guys was like, hey, I just finished national championships in weightlifting. And I had like six weeks before I was going to leave. And he was like, if you want to come over and try Jiu-Jitsu, you're welcome to. You're not going to charge you or whatever because all the training that you've got to pass from Gesher. And like anyone who's ever done jiu-jitsu, so it's like the first time you try it, you're like, oh. Mm-hmm. And I get it. Like I didn't come from karate background. No one I knew ever did karate or mm-hmm. like wrestling. I never did wrestling or anything. So I don't come from combat or any martial arts. Uh, but immediately that made sense. Jiu-jitsu made complete sense to me. I loved every second of it. So then when I moved on uh, to my PhD, I was like, you know, like I felt like I'd I'd had a pretty good success in weightlifting very quickly as well. And it just wasn't like, I don't know, like I didn't feel a lot of, it's snatch playing jerk like every day. Yeah, like, right. oh, yeah. It wasn't super complicated physiologically. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, it, the movements are hard, but it's not, it's not, it's not difficult intellectually to figure out. Um, MMA was different. MMA, I'm like, man, okay, how do we balance the tactical and the technical learning? You know, learning all these skills. How do we balance the strength the speed, the power, the endurance. Now I got to do this for 25 minutes. It's a very different, and even relative to football, football is easy physiologically. Yeah, It's very simple to figure out how to train someone and how you prepare types of conditioning you need based on positions. It's very simple scientifically. MMA is insanely complicated. And I just, I realized that immediately. I'm like, man, this is really, so now I have that other niche, right? Which is, it's fun, but I also, I don't know how to do this mm-hmm. science-wise. The other ones I knew. I knew basically how to do those things. And, and no one, I looked around, there was no one that understood the science and the, and the physiology of MMA. So I, I just loved it. Um, I, I just, I, so I started training with, with those folks and, and started doing all that stuff for, for my PhD, which was nerve wracking because, you know, you, you, you sort of pronounced the words earlier at the beginning of the show, Darren, it's human bioenergetics, right? Mm-hmm. What that means is I have a pipette in my hand a lot of the times. In fact, you can see these videos uh, I've got some up for free. 
Um, we would take muscle biopsies from people. So we'd go into your leg and take a chunk of your muscle out. And then with a needle, I would go in and pull one muscle fiber out at a time. And I would do this thousands and thousands of times, isolating one single muscle cell, putting it somewhere and running some sort of study on it. Well, that's really difficult to do if you just broke in your hand fighting or like you get kicked in the elbow. Right. Back. So <laughs> I was terrified every day because I'm like, if I can't have extreme dexterity in my fingers, I can't do my job. I can't do my job. Like I'm going to be probably right. thrown out of my PhD program. You're showing up with terrified. black eyes and, dis- <laughs> oh, and mangled fingers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey guys hope you're enjoying the first half of our conversation with dr andy galpin before we get into the meat of the episode where he gives us great tips on longevity and performance throughout our lives uh, we did want to thank our sponsor chalk talk casino and resort and remind you they are doing a 1.2 million dollar grand giveaway every single saturday the month of september uh, you can play with your rewards card to earn entries for drawings and a share of the $1.2 million. Uh, make Choctaw Casino Resort your home away from home, and fingers crossed, reap the rewards as well. Also, we're going to remind you guys that coming up this weekend on the 24th, we've got Vince Neal of Motley Crew with special guest Stephen Adler of Guns N' Roses performing on the 24th, and then on the 25th, the great Sam Hunt will be performing. So go get your tickets, checked out Choctaw Casino and Resort. Uh, now back to the episode. <laughs> I, I, uh, I broke my rib one time and it was really, it was like doing a really intense period of data collection. And we were doing this simple drill and training and my ribs just popped and I was like, oh no. And I had torn my calf before too, but I was just like, well, whatever, I could kind of hobble around and you're mostly sitting on a bench top and you're doing chemistry stuff, so it's not a big deal. But with a broken rib, I was like, oh boy. So yeah. like I show up, my my spot the next day and I'm like, you know, you're, you're folded way over and you're just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't breathe. Yeah. And I'm just trying to hide it. Right. I'm like, work it away. I'm like, uh, I'm just trying to breathe as quietly as possible. And it takes them about 16 minutes for me to be like, you're right. I'm like, yeah, good. good. <laughs> and if you guys were broken a rib or cracked one, like everything hurts. Yeah. You can't do anything. Yeah. You can't yeah. do anything. Yeah. That, well, that one set me back for a little bit, but um, oh man, yeah. So that's how I got into it. It's just because it was, intellectually different and uh it goes honestly back to the conversation where everyone i was training with and everyone i saw they loved it more than i did mm-hmm. and i knew that if i want to work with these guys they'll match me mm-hmm. they'll match me energy wise they'll match me soul wise they'll match me art wise and i don't have to worry about a crybaby who doesn't want to show up to, co- to training because it's not in his contract mm-hmm. right. i just didn't have to worry about that so it handled the curiosity side the science side and the other part, which is important to me. So that, that's how I sort of launched into that career. So uh, what was your thesis? What was, what was the focus of your thesis? Uh, so you, you don't want to even know the answer to that question. Okay. All right. <laughs> it's uh, basically I developed a new chemical method to measure signaling proteins on individual muscle cells. Hmm. So I dare, you to, I dare you to find a follow-up question to that. <laughs> did it work? <laughs> yeah. It did, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So it was very, very chemistry. Yeah. Uh, okay. Biology. Yeah. Okay. yeah you, you mentioned earlier, you, you wanted to be one of the only ones in the world that could, could combine how to with the molecular side. So mm-hmm. you, and then you mentioned kind of what you're doing. So walk us through what you are doing now before we get into, you know, the practical things that people can take away. Yeah. So the, when I showed up here at Fullerton, I basically pitched this idea, right? It's, this is 
the new type of strength and conditioning science, if you will. So here I run what's called our human, our, our center for sport performance. Mm -hmm. So within that center, we've got a bunch of laboratories that all study anything that could enhance human performance. Mm -hmm. So we've got biomechanics. So this is movement, right? And mm -hmm. joint angles and forces and velocities, and stuff like that. Your classic exercise physiology. So your VO2 max and your body composition, supplementation. Now, are you Which doing with, with regular, I say regular people, like athletes and the general pop or just athletes specifically? We don't study disease or disease prevention or anything like that. We study only things that will enhance human performance. So gotcha. some of it is with athletes. Uh, some of it is you know, with our general student population, but it's always something to understand what would enhance performance. Mm -hmm. gotcha. Sometimes gotcha. we just need bodies. Yeah. Um, We've got strength conditioning stuff. We've got my molecular muscle physiology stuff. Um, so we've got a bunch of labs. And the idea is to try to understand human performance scientifically from a holistic perspective. Uh, so instead of just isolating, you know, how you jump or uh, what to eat, it's, it's how are these things affecting each other. Mm. And then we put that out there. Um, so that's part one of my job. Part two of my job is I teach at the graduate level strength and conditioning, sports nutrition, program design, which is how to put these strength and conditioning programs mm -hmm. together so that it lays on top of each other across the season, across the year, across a developmental model. So taking a rookie and making sure that they're optimized by the time they're going to get that second contract, like things like that, right? right. Mm -hmm. um, and then part three is I work personally with a number of professional athletes. So this is, uh, this is kind of its own thing uh, if you want to get into more specifically what we do, but it's, it's very, very high touch. Uh, I don't know, human performance optimization, if you will. So it's everything from maximizing the recovery, uh, extreme diagnostic on their sleep, their training protocols, tracking metrics daily. Um, like I mentioned hair analysis, stool analysis, blood analysis to make sure that physiologically that they are completely optimized. Um, Remove any toxins, molds, like things like that that we mm. can do. So I work with a small number yeah. um, at a very high level there. And I've got a, a couple of examples and about three weeks, I've got two individuals fighting for a UFC title. Wow. Uh, so how much time are fighting they putting each other? in? No, no they're not there. One of them's co-main event. Okay. And one's yeah. the other main event. So I started with both of these individuals three years ago coming off of losses. Uh -huh. So bad parts of their career. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lauren Murphy is, is one of them. She's now won five fights in a row, and she's mm -hmm. fighting for a world title. And Brian Ortega is coming off a of loss yep. as well, changed his life around. Now he's fighting for a world championship. I've done the same thing with baseball players, taking guys – from you know five and a half six ERAs to winning Cy Youngs, like things things like that. So, so how how much time? What's the commitment for these athletes? This this just for Brian Ortega. I mean, what does his schedule look like uh, on a weekly basis? <laughs> yeah, um, we we make sure that one of the things that I do is we make sure that the system is executable. Mm -hmm. So that answer differs depending on the person, depending on their responsibilities and their aptitudes. Right. So the program for Major League Baseball guy is completely different than Brian Ortega's because mm. of demands, because of personalities, because of their support systems. What they have, do you have a private chef? Do you make your own meals? Like all, do you travel to training? Is training mm. in your house? Like all these little things determine. Um, but basically, I will tell him uh, pretty much exactly what to do. I tell him literally what time to wake up. <laughs> and then from then, everything is, is given to him. How much water? what he takes, when he eats his meals, um, the type of meditation he does, when he gets soft tissue mm -hmm. work, uh, 
what what he does for training, his recovery stuff, the weight check-in, what he eats, how that's measured, how that's delivered to him. Um, Holy smokes. What we track, the metrics, if we track, if I'm tracking, what am I seeing, what are we doing different? Uh, like literally everything under the umbrella that, that an athlete could use, uh, my job is to try to help them understand which do you need to worry about right now, which do you don't. Because mm-hmm. there's endless things, right? For sure. And how do we decide what to put in your system so that you're not feeling like just every five seconds you're doing something else? Mm-hmm. You feel free. You feel fine. I'm getting all the stuff I need, and it's as painless as possible. And we, we, we filter out the things that aren't making the hugest impact or that we need. Um, in a fight camp for a world title fight, it's a little bit more than usual because we got to make sure everything is really optimized. Mm-hmm. But for like the baseball players, it's a lot lower because we've got now length of you know, schedule. Like we're playing for a couple of months from now. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. do you work with guys? I've always been curious about MLB players during the season. Do you work with guys mm-hmm. during the season as well? What their strength and conditioning program I looks work, like? You're but the only way that this works is year round. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what is I mean, I mean of course you take a week off or two weeks off or whatever right. vacation. But yeah, no, we in season, out of season, in fight camp. In between fight camp, those are the times when we really can make progress because we can run little experiments. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we like can do this and do that sorry. and say, like, hey, can we, um, like, let, let's optimize your sleep. Okay, let's run this experiment here. Let's do this for two weeks. Let's do this one for two weeks. Oh, okay, this is much better. And we can get things like that dialed in. We can, yeah. again, run some of these analytics, um, the samples and get things back from the lab and say, okay, actually, we need to tweak this little thing here. And all of a sudden, boom, testosterone goes up 50%. Mm-hmm. Okay, those are very, very common things we see happening when you can just wow. find little things to do. Or I, I can give you guys a thousand examples of Gosh. the craziness we've seen with athletes by just figuring out and by taking the guesswork out of it. Yeah, you just you can keep guessing. Mm. Like most people will do pretty well. The average person, I could give you the, what I call the ninety percent, which is like the ninety percent of things ninety percent of people will have to do to feel amazing. Mm-hmm. But the athletes, that doesn't work anymore. Like yeah. We, we want to figure out like. Yeah, that one thing that worked amazing for most people actually is, you know, it's actually taking you backwards. Right. And we, we could just take the guesswork out. So that's yeah. really what we do. Go ahead. Uh, do you have a question? Well, I was just curious about MLB players during the season because their schedule is so crazy. I mean, they're traveling so much. It what? is, but here's the thing. I can look right now on my calendar, and I know exactly when they're going to be the whole season. Mm-hmm. I know. I know what time you're going to play three months from now, basically. Huh? Right? right. So we build it, – it's honestly – and teams have systems, right? So you, I already know if you play a one o'clock game on a Thursday, and you're going to travel that night, because so you got to, like, I, I already know yeah. what the travel schedule is basically going to be like, right? I know when they want you there to take BP, or when your bullpens are, if you're a pitcher, like, we already know mm. the bulk of this stuff. So we would create jet lag plans. We create what time do you go to bed? What do you take? If you take anything or not? What other situation? What do we need to fly out? All the stuff just gets handled. So we have systems. Um, and even for the pitchers, are you on your five-day rotation? Players, what are you doing? Um, it, it's it's not. It, it's, yeah. MMA is more difficult because we don't know when you're going to fight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's a good fight. Right. Yeah, I right. know every football game. I know where Russell Wilson's going to be. I don't work with Russell ever, but you know, like I, I know where everyone's going to be. Like, right. I know. I know what the system is, and yeah. a lot of the folks when you get to that level, like little spoiler alert for you guys that haven't been behind the scenes with pro sports, like a lot of you guys get to do whatever you want. Right. Like you, you guys can pull some cards sometimes, so we can say, hey we're not doing this practice this time because not because you're a prima donna, but because like, Hey, look at the sleep numbers we've tracked. And right. then when he wakes up at eight o'clock to do this eight a.m. work, this is what's happening the next day when he throws. Mm. So we're going to skip these ones on the road and these situations because 
like the numbers show very clearly you're going to, his velo on his fastball is down a mile an hour. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's so crazy is that you, you, this is so dialed in. And and I remember when I was playing uh, with the Cowboys back when Methuselah was walking around. But anyway, um, (laughs) he just always beats me to the joke. We didn't have to, because if I don't, they'll murder me here. Uh, But Uh we would eat whatever it is like for lunch. They would just bring out, yeah, fried chicken before you went an hour before you went out to practice or whatever it was. You know, you'd eat big pasta meals or burgers or whatnot. And I remember it was about my year seven or eight that I couldn't do it. Like I just I knew my body well enough to this made me feel so bad by eating this way. So I, I used to always have to bring my lunch or bring my meal because I just couldn't eat it. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this thinking. How dialed in does that athlete have to be? Because this takes, I mean, it's the discipline for you as far as giving the knowledge, but there's so many things that an athlete has to deal with before practice, after practice, family dynamics, getting on the road, travel. I mean, there's got to be a a complete communication line between the two. So how do you guys do it? Is it an app? Is it a call? How how are you communicating with the athletes? It, uh, It depends on the person. So one of the first things that I try to figure out is the what we'll call the soft side of the science. Mm-hmm. So them as a person, are they a high detail person? Um, I'll put it this way. So I call people cooks or bakers. So you all, I'm sure, have made your own meals, but do you guys know the difference between cooking and baking? No. Okay. So baking is chemistry. Not, mm-hmm. If you go to bake a, you know, a bread or something, you can't just be like, all right, um, I'm just going to throw some flour in there, a little bit of baking soda, yeah. some eggs. Oh, let's just see what... Like you, you cannot bake that way, right? Yeah. <laughs> the ingredients have to be very specific. The timing has to be correct. They can't be mixed with hot when they're supposed to be mixed with cold. At the temperature in the oven has to be exact or you get nothing, right? Uh-huh. Cooking is the antithesis of that. It is put the plate or put the pan on the stove, put some oil in it, throw some protein in, yeah. whatever else is in the fridge, hit it with hot sauce, hit it with cheese, good to go. Good to yeah. go. That's a right? good analogy. So I identify those personality traits, the individual. So in other words, some people, um, if I give them just say nutrition and I say, pre-practice, I want you to eat this. And I tell them I want six ounces of almonds, three ounces of salmon, two ounces of rice, blah, blah, blah. Some people are like, awesome. I have a plan. I can have my chef make that. My wife will make that. Whatever the case is, they'll send it to me. I'll tell the team. The team will make that for me. I know exactly what to do. And they said they have a sense of relief mm-hmm. because they have a specific plan. Cool. Other folks that gives them anxiety because they're like, ah, uh, like I don't have a, yeah. like six out, like sometimes I don't like salmon. Like I don't. So the people that like all the detail are bakers. The people that can't handle that much detail are cooks. If you give a cook precision, they get anxiety because it's too controlled. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you give a baker just rough guidelines, they get anxiety because it's not specific. They don't know exactly what to do. Right. So I, I, that's one of the first things I'm trying to figure out is how does your system work? Do you have an assistant? Do you have a you know, spouse? Like, does a team, like, what do you, we go through all of these things. We try to figure out, again, I, I'll have to put you in a system that's executable because mm-hmm. without that, none of the science matters. Yeah. Then there may be a little bit of, okay, like you've got to get a little bit tighter here if you want to get what you want to get. There's only, I can't like literally put the food in your mouth for you. Right. Right. But for the most part, we try to figure out a system and, because there is so much going on and there's so much other things we have to figure out, okay, maybe, uh, 
this second set of meditation we're doing in the evenings is helpful, but it's causing you a giant pain in the butt and blah, blah, blah. You know, we're just going to take it out. Mm-hmm. And, we, and that's the fine line we play of going, okay, let's make sure, is it two things you can handle? Is it 15 things? I have some, I have some players that will track 50 metrics every day. They spend an hour and a half every morning running a bunch of metrics. Jeez. Other folks, if I can just get them to weigh in, like that, that's a win. Yeah. How much did you weigh today? How did you sleep? Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So identifying how they're going to work and then only giving them, just like on a football team, only give them the responsibility that they have a reasonable chance to yeah. accomplish. If not, right. that's my fault. Yeah. Right. I'm a bad coach. Put them um, in a but then the communication win. line, mm-hmm. it depends. Some of them, it's funny enough, some of them, the vast majority of my communication is through Instagram DMs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how they, I hate it. I can't stand it. <laughs> that's how you. they communicate. Yeah. Others, it literally will, it's going to be a phone call every time. They won't yeah. send a text or whatever. It's just only, it's only a phone yeah. call. Some of them, it's different ways. Um, a lot of them, it's it's texting all day, right? Mm-hmm. Bing, 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 bing. Especially the first six weeks, eight weeks. Yeah. Until right. like we get things ironed out and we start to figure out, because I need a lot of feedback. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, how was your digestion day? How would, the, did we get that problem go away? You still have heartburn? Was Okay. How was your energy? Did you still have that crash in the afternoon? Did you feel wake up groggy? How was it? Okay, great. And so we'll kind of shift our priorities based on things we're looking at over the course of time. Um, but the the way that I that I operate with these few individuals, it's uh, what what system do we need to do to get you there? Yeah, right. So, sorry, um, you mentioned you mentioned a, a handful of times in, in in a handful of different ways. But how much are you addressing the psychological recovery? Uh, you know, training, all those things, yeah. the assessment, because you mentioned, okay, hey, are they baker, cooker? We've got to understand kind of their their mentality here. Um, you, you mentioned meditation, right? Like the, the overall benefits of meditation and all that on the, on, on the psyche. How much of that are you evaluate and evaluating and working on in your program? So I'm not a, a therapist. I'm not a psychologist or even a sports psychologist. Mm-hmm. So one thing that I do have is a decent amount of EQ. So like I can see, and I'm fairly perceptive to things. So when it comes to somebody who I actually think needs a true psychologist, we, I always ask for outsource. Mm-hmm. Right? So I will ask them, and I have several, even in our department here, outstanding sports psychologists, or if they need an actual therapist. Mm-hmm. These are very different things, right? right Some people right. don't realize the difference between a sports psychologist and a therapist. Um, those are there. But what I try to figure out is when I'm running this I'll call this this complete diagnostic of human performance. If I'm running through the stuff on our side and I'm like, hey, physiology looks outstanding. Uh, performance is great here, but we're still not executing in games. Mm-hmm. Now it's pretty clear to me that, like, I think I think that now this is not a physiology thing. This is now a mm-hmm. therapy or a sports psychology thing. Right. So then I can just simply say, hey, look at our numbers over here. Yeah. You look pretty good. Um, like, this is now an upstairs issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's some things that we can try, certainly, um, uh, in, a, in a host of things, but others where I'm like, you, you need actual training here. Like, uh, you, you seem to struggle when it comes to focus. So yeah. sports psychologists are excellent at helping you learn to focus, yeah, whatever right. the case may be, right? Yeah. Um, but my entire goal is to figure out, again, what are these small number of things we can do that make the most impact? Right. And, and mm-hmm. if that's one of them, we can explore that area. Yeah. Um, some folks, I'm like, no, you have, you have a parasitic infection in your stomach. Mm. 
right? This is why you're not sleeping. It's because we know that the role that this plays in development of melatonin and serotonin, or you've got a vitamin or mineral deficiency. That's why you're feeling lethargic. And that's why you're feeling depressed is because uh, we've actually looked at your metrics and your numbers and your dopamine's down here and whatever, right? So sometimes it's a physiological root cause and sometimes it's not. And this is the benefit of having testing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very much a custom approach. There is no, to, to stick with yeah. the theme, there's no cookie cutter about this. You are taking every single individual, every single individual factor, and you're yeah. and you're putting that into your blender, and you're you're giving them the best the best yeah. you know program. I did want to have one question. So Darren, Tyler, and I are all parents of of young kids, and we understand the importance of strength training, mm-hmm. and, and they're all into sports. But the question we get all the time is when is when's the good time? What what does science say about yep. kids getting into strength training? What, what does that say about that? Yeah, we can talk as much as y'all want about the long term athletic development stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the quick answer to that is you can start them as early as they have the cognitive ability to focus. Mm. So movement quality is paramount, right? Mm. Um, This is actually sort of a question you asked earlier that I never truly answered, but uh, yes, all through development, even up through high school, it's the primary focus should be moving well, Mm. right? Learning to the the easy um, trope is this learn to walk, learn to throw, Learn to jump, mm-hmm. right? That's that's starting off number one. Mm-hmm. Learn to squat, learn to press, learn to pull. And by pull, like a deadlift hinge uh-huh. kind of thing, right? right? Learn to snatch, learn to clean and jerk after that. And that's just a really easy way to think about athletic development. So if a kid can't properly jump, they shouldn't be snatching, mm-hmm. probably. Uh-huh. They don't know the basic mechanics of running. They're probably not motor control ready um, to do you know, a bunch of complicated things like a clean injury. And I, and I love those movements. But that's the basic idea. So going back to your actual question, the, the science is going to suggest that they have the ability to focus and understand when you tell them, when you teach them proper hinging, mm-hmm. then it's good for them. If not, then, you know, give them another six months, give them another year. Right, right? If they're right. squirrely and they won't pay attention and you tell them, all right, press, and they get into really bad positions, mm. don't. But yeah. physically, it's, it's not only okay, it's actually extremely beneficial to physical development for kids to start strength training as soon as possible. You're not going super heavy. You're not maximizing strength. You're not trying to get them stronger. And I will emphasize this even through high school. Mm. You shouldn't be trying to necessarily maximize strength. Really? Mm -hmm. Even through high school? Oh, you can still use strength. You can still Mm -hmm. go heavy. Mm -hmm. All those are true. But the goal is to not maximize strength because puberty is going to do most of that work for you. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. So I was literally going to make a joke. I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're telling me what Karen told me, that squats are going <laughs> to stunt yeah. your growth, is not yeah. true? <laughs> I mean, we have so much, like, honestly, it's so annoying. We have so much science. Yeah. And it's not even like, well, it's mixed and you're on one side. It, it's all. Yeah. It's all. And you can Google for, like, parents out there if you want. The NSCA, so National Strength and Conditioning Association, they have what are called position statements which is all the scientists in the area of strength training for kids kind of get together and say, collectively, what do we agree on? And they put it out in these free papers. So they're not behind a paywall. You don't have to be a scientist to get them. Mm-hmm. So if you just Google their position stand on strength training and youth, you'll get not only all the science behind this, but then you'll get the actual recommendations. Uh-huh. What exercises, how many reps, how many right. sets, how heavy, how much rest. It's all laid out completely free. 
Uh, and those guidelines for power development, for strength development, for hypertrophy, which is muscle growth, right? Uh, NSCA position statements and several others. Um, and the science is very, very clear. Again, it does not stunt growth. It does the opposite. It generally enhances growth. It is, again, not bad for bone. It's typically showed to be beneficial mm-hmm. for bone quality, mm-hmm. almost always. Uh. Um, but this lays under the assumption that you're moving them, that they're moving well. Yeah, right. That they're under supervision. Mm-hmm. And the biggest, the single biggest factor with injury and in young kids with either strength training or even things like plyometrics or sport is volume. Yeah. So if you've got your eight-year-old in soccer and then also going to volleyball at night and then you have yeah. them with the personal strength coach three times a week and then a speed coach on the weekends, well, yeah. you know. Yeah. Inevitably, I, yeah. You know where that's going to go. Yeah. yeah, true. So just keep a mindful eye on volume. Be reasonable Yeah. Um, with volume and the, the, the sort of sneaky back part about volume is where volume gets people is in repetition over movement. So what I'm saying is if you have a kid doing the exact same thing, now you're going to have problems mm-hmm. because you're doing the same movement and the same movement over pattern and over. over and over and yeah. over and over and over. You could do that same total volume if you did it with two different types of movements and you'd be just fine. Uh, uh, hence the multi-sport. Yeah, I was going to say that speaks to what we were talking about earlier, the multi-sport. This is exactly why, one of the many reasons why being a multi-sport athlete is so beneficial mm. for kid development. And again, the science is as it's super clear. It, mm. This is not even like a, well, it's really, really established. Uh, we, we don't even honestly study it much anymore because we we've known the answer mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, to keep your kids, to reduce their likelihood of injury and overuse, uh, and more specifically, so they're not broken when they're 20. Right. Gosh, yes. Like you don't want to be 22 and your knee doesn't work. Yeah. Hmm. Your, your shoulder's all junked up and you had surgery and it still doesn't feel right. I mean, some of that's going to happen. Would you, you say about me? Would you say about my shoulder? Yeah, you said the science community knows this, but we can, we can yeah. name five people in our head right now who've got their kid in baseball from yeah. January through December, year after year after year, and that's all they do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the science community knows this, but the general population hasn't caught up to that yet. And that's the message we and, need to spread. Why would, yeah. you, why would you say, what are the reasonings behind, and, and you see it, I'm sure, and I'm sure you have conversations with, with parents, you know, whether it's on social I media. Don't. Or what, no, I well, don't have conversations you're, with parents. You're super lucky. We'll, we'll have a conversation super lucky. for you. We'll have it for yeah. you. We're having a yeah, You we're can imagine somebody having a conversation with a parent is, yeah. is you know, these high school and, and even really these, uh, these select leagues, right, where it's really specific. Hey, this is how you get into college, and this is how you progress. Yeah. I mean, what, what would be your encouragement to some of these parents that are going up against this? Like, I'm a parent that I totally believe in multi-sport athletes. Like, I think it's imperative. Obviously, the science agrees with me because I'm super smart, right? And so, <laughs> but, but when, like when you're in a community that's like, hey, look, if you're not on the team in third grade, you're not playing tackle football mm-hmm. in third grade, um, and you're not training and doing this, and you're only doing this sport, you can't play baseball, you can't play track, you can't do track, you can't wrestle, you, you can't do these other sports because your focus is here or you have zero chance of playing. Yeah, How- so I can answer this in a whole bunch of ways. Number one, um, you guys ever heard of anyone in the NFL ever changing positions once they got the, into the NFL? Yes, yeah, well, yes. I'm sitting next to one right here. So there you go, Yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Point number one, oh, like, you're an outfielder. Really? Really? Yeah. 
Are you sure? Because when you go to high school, maybe all of a sudden you're a catcher. Yeah. And then when you go to junior college and when you actually play double-A baseball, maybe they put you at second base. And mm-hmm. In fact, who's more likely to make a big league team? Mm-hmm. The guys in the bubble, guess what happens? If you can only play linebacker and you're on the bubble, but somebody else can play linebacker, can maybe take a couple things in slot, can do special teams, can be a punt, yeah. that guy's going to get a job. Mm. So simply from pragmatic perspective, your likelihood of playing more sports longer yes. goes yes. up the more things you can do. Yes, true. If all you know how to do is be a first baseman and you're 12, mm-hmm. now you're a liability. <laughs> because if you're not the best first baseman, we only get to play with one. Yeah, right, yeah. that's a good point. Your liability, right? Mm-hmm. So in general, the way that I think about this is you can either drive specificity or another way to think about that is sensitivity, or mm-hmm. you can drive resilience. And both of these are important, right? So you want to be sensitive to some things and resilient against other things. Sensitivity in this case, if you did nothing but play base, first base your entire career, from the time you're five on, you would be hypersensitive to different ways the ball bounces off the ground, yep. the angles the ball comes, and you would develop a tremendous amount of specificity and sensitivity to that position, which means your skill acquisition in that area is high. Mm-hmm. Very good. You have compromised any chance of resiliency, though. Mm-hmm. If they have to put you in a third base, you have no chance. Right. Like you're, you're, you're in a big, big problem. If you played a little bit of every position, now your resiliency against anything is super high. You're not as great maybe at catching the balls at first base as someone else who only does that, mm-hmm. but you can do a lot of different things. So you're more resilient to change. And the same thing happens with physiology. The same thing happens with motor development. Mm-hmm. So if I give you the exact same task and all you do is practice this physical task, right? Uh, whatever it happens to be, you'll get very good at that, but that won't cross over to anything else. If I give you a whole host, say six or seven or eight different things to learn physically, you will learn that one thing at almost the exact same rate. Mm. And you will learn all these other things because you're learning general motor development and motor control. Mm. So a kid who's still learning how to run and learning how to jump and learning how to throw, the more variation and types of throwing and types of running and running with a different kind of shoe on and running with a different kind of equipment on their back and running with a different thing on their head or not on their head or on a different field or on a court versus the rate of learning of running enhances because now the stimulation is really, really high. So the progression isn't as fast, but it's more more Mm well-rounded. And because of that, it's more resilient as I get later in life. Gosh. Yeah. Can you come sure. speak? Can you come speak in uh, in North Dallas, please? I would love would love for all these high school coaches and athletic directors yeah. to hear you. So here's what you're going to see: the kids that specialize early are certainly going to be the teams who make the AAU 15 and under squads, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see what happens when they're 22. Yeah, yeah. so true. Who, who's going to make so the so true? Man. Yeah, I think that's the confusing yeah. thing. You know, the principle of specificity. You think, okay, the more I do something, the better I'm going to get at that thing. And so the more I play baseball, the better I'm going to get at baseball if that's my goal. But you just shattered that myth, right? The Actually learning multiple things is going to still yeah. benefit you just as well. But I love that you learn a singular movement just as fast while multi-training in different, you know. Yeah, and if you look uh, at, the, you ask the motor control, motor development folks, that they're going to generally say is variation enhances motor learning. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Rather than things. So specificity wins in the short game. 
Um, but it does win the long game. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, and you see it every day. I mean, you see it every day. I, I, my kid, my son played in, in, in select baseball around the country, and that's all they did all year round. Yeah. And then you see them get into that 17, 18-year-old range, and the kids that were playing double-A baseball or rec baseball and playing basketball, now they're the ones who are on the bump. Mm-hmm. 17, 18 year olds getting a major college, you know, degree. I mean, uh, yeah. scholarships. Let, let's. I want to switch this a little bit because these two are young guys. Mm-hmm. I'm one of the older, the elder statesmen here. Uh, speak to our audience that, you know, once you get to that forty some year old range, where Tyler, you're about to get to, right, that you start the body's not the same. Like you're not playing specific sports. You're just trying to be more flexible or you're trying to have a, a better quality of life, right? Speak to that individual. What are some of the things that they should be doing for maybe it's bone density or, or mm-hmm. trying to, as far as movement is concerned? Okay. You're going to love slash hate this answer. Okay. Um, the way that I approach science and the way that I approach coaching is the human body is the human body and the old Bill Bowerman quote is my favorite here, right? Whether you are an athlete or not, right? If you have a body, you're an athlete. Mm-hmm. So the way that I think the 40 year old folks should approach is the exact same way that professional athletes should exact same with, of course, you're not going to take as many risks, mm-hmm. right? You're not going to make it as much of a focus of your whole life. It's not your primary job. Um, but the, categories are the exact same. The approach should be the exact same. And I can verify this because we have done studies with 70 year olds, 80 year olds. We've done them with 90 plus year olds and physiology doesn't change that much. It goes down. Of course, the aging is a real thing. And so I'm not saying aging is fake, but even at the age of like 40, it really shouldn't change that much. And the, the approach should be basically the same thing. So you have to have some sort of strategy for stress management. Mm-hmm. You have to have some sort of strategy for sleep. You have to have some sort of strategy for hydration, some for nutrition, some for physical movement. You have to have some for relationships. You have to have some for the physical environment. And you have to have whatever else lands in your emotional uh, life, right? If, if it isn't in one of those other categories, if you don't have, some acknowledgement of all those pieces. I don't care if you're 60, 20, doesn't matter. You're either going to leave things on the table or you're going to have huge holes and fall apart. That's being a human is human. What you choose to do with your physical abilities is up to you. If you want to use those physical abilities to run your $15 million company better, you want to use those physical abilities to be a better mother. You want to use those abilities to try to make you know, a baseball team. I don't really care. You use those however you want. Um, but the same things are required for physical performance. Mm. So, you know, this is, this is interesting because I think now we're talking, you know, whether you're 40, 50, 60, 70, or 30, right. Let's, let's move away from the professional athlete just into, you know, also just general population. Um, You talked about tracking and and the importance of tracking progress. And you talked about how do you do it with your pro athletes? Is it what kind of do you use wearable technology? Is it GPS? Is is there some out there that you're like, okay, hey, those are actually good that I would recommend? Because again, not everybody can work work with you. So if somebody out out in the general 
population is like, hey, what's a good step to start, one, tracking recovery, tracking nutrition, tracking my movement, um, and then and then getting onto, okay, now a plan going forward? Yeah. So I hate wearable technologies for the most part. Okay. Um, I actually have a book on this specific topic uh, for how to use and not misuse all training-related technologies. Mm. So you, you can see more there if you want. Um, the general answer though is I don't think they help people. And I have seen oftentimes we've seen this in the literature, they tend to hurt people. Interesting. So if it's helping you, awesome. Mm-hmm. Keep rolling. If you feel like it's neutral or you feel like, I think this is putting me in a negative spot, mm-hmm. then you got to ditch it. And a very easy example there is many studies have shown the folks that get something like a Fitbit or an Apple watch where it tracks their, steps per day or activity. Um, for some individuals, that is a huge, huge benefit for weight loss. Others, it actually is negative because it's a daily reminder of failure. Mm-hmm. Mm. Some people handle reminders of failure well. Mm-hmm. I personally do. Right? I actually get like super motivating. I love it. That's not because I'm better or healthier or smarter. Yeah. It, it's just my personality, right? Like I love it because I see it as an opportunity. Like, yes, something to, to go after, right? And this will make an important. Others, it's just like, I'm trying my ass off here. I got kids and this, and like, I'm trying to do better. And it's just telling me I failed against it. Mm. And they just ditch it, right? And they end up having worse. In fact, a lot of cases will gain more weight with the watch on than they would have before. So you have to be very, very careful with giving blanket recommendations yeah. uh, of okay. things like this. But I think maybe, if you guys don't mind, maybe I could sort of outline uh, these major nodes that I think everyone should go after. Yeah, that's that great. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the way that I, I do this, you know, you guys heard me earlier about the accountability piece. Mm-hmm. So I use what I call a quad system. So uh, this is a little note card that I would make and I recommend you make. And I mean you at home listening. Mm-hmm. And you take this quad and you put this in a place that's private for you, you know, your laptop, something that you're going to see every day. And then you put it, Somewhere else, the same thing, where whoever that other person who is accountable to you or you are to them. This could be your family. It's on the kitchen table or the, the refrigerator or something, right? And on this card, you get to divide it up into four quads. So quad one is training. This is all things exercise. Quad two is recovery. Quad three is financial family or financial business whatever stuff falls into the, the categories there. Quad four is family. You could change these quads if you want. You could add things. And whatever those topics mean to you, they mean to you. It's just your thing. And you get 10 points. And you get to decide how you're going to spend your 10 points across those four quads. And we make a plan. I typically like to make a plan for a quarter, three months, mm-hmm. something like that. You can do whatever, six weeks. You could do six years. I don't really care. But let's just say you made a three-month plan. And we said, okay. And we sat down and we had a very candid conversation and said, okay, you got 10 points to spend across these four areas. How do you want to allocate them? And if you're sitting there saying, okay, I feel like crap. Um, you know, I just don't feel good every day. My energy's down. I'm not sleeping well. Uh, I, re- I think I, I'm not exercising very often. Uh, I, I just need to start exercising and eating better. Okay. So how many of 10 do you want to put under, we'll call it training. We'll just call it training and eating all one bucket. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to do four. Okay. So four of our 10 are in training. That means we've got six left. Where do you want to put them? Okay. Well, I'll do three 
my family's important, so I'll go three. Okay, and I got to keep my business going too, so I'll go three there. Um, and I know I need to recover, so I'll put three there. Well, I don't know if you guys just did math there, but that's like 16. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. That's, it's that's, just, it happens every time. Mm-hmm. Because it's very hard to look down the face of your family or your business mm-hmm. and say, I'm going to give you less time and energy. Mm. But num- hours have to come from somewhere. Right? So this is how people fail when they set these plans is they go, I'm just going to give more. <laughs> we have to allocate resources differently. Mm-hmm. So we're going to go, okay, four for training. All right. Well, you can't do more than a two to one ratio from training to recovery. So if you're going to do four in training, we have to do a minimum of two in recovery. Because if we just work, 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 and we do intervals and CrossFit and everything, mm. you're going to burn if we don't put any money in recovery. It's not going to be sustainable. So if we're going to go four there, we're going to go two. So that's six total, four training, two recovery. Now we've got four left, two in family, two in business. Okay, fine. Now, you have just told me you're willing to spend double the amount of energy and time on working out that you are with your family. Sometimes you, that, that is the right answer. Sometimes you have, you have to take your health as a priority. And I'm using a kind of a woman example here because, you know, my wife is, with our little, like we had to have these conversations. I'm like, honey, you've got to make, you have to make you a more of a priority right now because you made the kids a priority for four years and their babies and getting through that stuff. Now, like we have to flip the attention back. What is it? Do we have to spend more? Do I need to work less? Mm-hmm. What do I have to do? Do we have to, do I have to get rid of an athlete? What do we have to do? Because we simply can't expect you to make any physical changes unless we give more resources to it. Mm-hmm. And that's not just meaning money. It typically means attention and time. Yeah. So if you don't have the energy to work out, we have to do something less so we get to bed earlier. Right. We have to create something. I got to do something. Get. I got to start later. I got to watch. Like, what do we have to do? And so you have to be able to look people and you go through these things. They're like, yeah, right now, like I have to get my physical health under control. It's going to get a four and my recovery is going to be a two. So right now I, I'm just not going to, I'm going to keep working, but business is now a secondary priority mm. because if, if I don't do this now, it doesn't matter what business I have. That's right. Yeah. Yes. And then this changes. And then here's the key piece of this is why you have to have it in front of yourself. So you have a daily reminder. So when that extra business call comes in, when that extra podcast, you have to be able to be like, oh, can't do it. Like, yeah. I, this is a good opportunity for me. This would really help. We can maybe make a few hundred bucks here. And maybe, but I didn't train yesterday because I took that call yesterday. I got to get my workout in today. Like mm-hmm. I'm eating out again at the restaurant because I didn't have enough time to make food with Nope. Like something has to go. Right. right. And then you got to have it in front of that person who holds you accountable, whether it's your coach or your family, and they can look at it and go, Hey, look, the plan was to do four workouts this week. You got in one. Why? Well, kids got sick. Okay, cool. So then did you work less? No. So then you chose now work over training again. Mm. Wrong priority here. Like you, you, this is the, this, you know, when to make decisions because life happens, right? It's what we call the what ifs. So plan is great, but then what if is what, okay, well, what ifs pop up hundred percent and things like kids are always going to jump to top priority, right? Fine. But then you have to understand, do I give up this or do I give up this? Well, the same thing with recovery. You got your workouts in, you did your business stuff. Did you get any soft tissue work? No. Did you do any meditation? No. Did you have any alone time? Whatever it is that helps you recover. Did you get six hours to go veg out and watch TV? Whatever that you need to reset. No, you didn't. Okay. Well, like, what are we going to take away then? Like, because we, we can't train as much this week. Because we know you're going to run into a hole here if you're not uh, balancing the recovery stuff. So 
it gives you very specific accountability. So once you set the framework for all that up, now we work backwards and we say, okay, what do we need to do sleep wise? Do we need to, are you feeling rested, recovered? Is it a sleep time issue? Yeah, I just stay up till midnight working. Okay, fine. This is an easy fix. We just work stops at nine. Okay. Or do you have enough hours of sleep, but you're still not feeling refreshed? Okay, now let's do some diagnostics into stress management. Is it a stress management issue or is it a quality of sleep issue? Now maybe we bring in some blood tests. Maybe we run a little sleep study on you, something like that, right? Maybe you buy an aura ring and just track your total number of sleep hours, which that's effective at. Or you just fill out a thing every morning. How do I, what time did I go to sleep last night? What time did I stop working? Um, how do I feel today? So these can be zero cost, right? They can be totally techless things, but you'll, you'll want to do something, right? Maybe I want to invest 125 bucks a month in hiring a dietitian to help me with my diet. Maybe I'm going to pay the money to hire the personal trainer. Right. I can't really afford it, but this is a priority, right? So now mm-hmm. I'm not going to buy yeah. that other thing right now. And this is not indefinite, right. but this is for this quarter, this is what we're going to do or whatever. Mm. So we walk them back off of that. So in general, here's what this lands. Um, you've got to have at least nine hours in bed per night. Wow. Right? So this is attempting to sleep time. You're not going to fall asleep, uh, but that's the general number. If you land in that nine, just the numbers we've seen, you have a shot. If you don't have nine hours in bed, you have very little shot of getting enough sleep. So you're saying in bed, not actual sleep, but just in bed. In bed, trying to sleep. sleep. All right. Not watching so, TV. Correct. Not, phone is not with you. Phone, no phone. Okay. All right. We had yeah. this conversation earlier today. You're out. So what okay. that typically looks like for most people, I recommend is 10 hours. At, at hour 10, get into bed, right? Or get, get the pre-bed routine, mm. whatever it happens to be. And then you can answer. Like, I honestly don't think technology is that big a deal right before bed. Mm. Um, unless it's a big stressor. Like if, it's, if you're a work person and you're working and you're getting anxiety. Mm. But for most people, I'm like, if you want to scroll Instagram, <laughs> and you want to watch like, Netflix or you want to watch a YouTube thing. Like if it's a joy, if it's a, that's not going to hurt most people. Yeah. Um, but you just want to start 10 hours from when you're going to wake up. You want to start that process. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then you shower and do other stuff. Maybe we have a breath work routine. Maybe you don't, maybe you don't do that stuff. Maybe it's hydration. We do other things. And by like nine hours between the time you want to wake up, like you're starting to really finish up the conversation with the spouse. Yep. Right. Your to-do list for tomorrow. Whatever your routine is, go through your head like, yeah, we're good, we're good, kids, sleep, dogs, boom. So by the time it is eight hours, you can start to shut the eyes with, yeah. I'm a plan for tomorrow, everything is wrapped, like, I feel good, had a good day, I got, I got 30 minutes of downtime. Mm-hmm. This is a big problem is eight hours before they wake up, they just stop. Well, now you, you need to downregulate. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to downregulate for a long time. So this is why I say nine, because it sometimes takes an hour to truly downregulate to feel like, okay, okay, I caught my breath here a little bit. Mm-hmm. Let me go through my checklist. Yep. If, oh, crap, I forgot that. Let me go downstairs, get that thing. Yep. Okay, cool. Yep. I for, oh, let me get the back to that guy. Got to do that thing. And if you do that, honestly, by the time you get to eight, you're more likely to be able to be like, okay, like the things I, because it's, it's that stuff that keeps you awake. Right. Good night. Right. It's the, I forgot to do this. I got to get back to this. Okay. Just get back. Yeah. Yeah. But this process starts nine hours. Mm-hmm. Finish that up. And then when it's eight, you feel like, okay, good. Like, um, boom. Now eyes are closed. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. Hey guys, it's me again. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, man, he's got a sexy voice. And two, 
you're probably thinking, why is he interrupting this discussion with Dr. Andy Galpin again? We've already heard the Choctaw ad read. Well, I've got some exciting, we have some exciting news to announce. We have a new sponsor for the podcast. Uh, That's right. We have partnered with Sleep Number. The official sleep and wellness partner of the Dallas Cowboys is now the official sleep and wellness partner of the Darren Woodson Show. And in all seriousness, we could not be any more excited about this. This is something we've looked forward to for a long time coming. Uh, Have a lot of awesome content planned for you guys in the way of wellness and sleep. Uh, In the meantime, head on over to sleepnumber.com to uh, check out their products and get involved um, and watch for more announcements and more to come on our new partnership again. Super excited about this. Thank you guys so much for your support. It's because of you guys that these partnerships are possible, uh, and we appreciate you. So now back to the episode. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a great strategy. As we as we begin to wrap up here, I, I did want to – No, no, I'm no. Not even, I'm not even close to finishing. So I'm <laughs> no. to finish. Shut up, man. <laughs> Continue. This is my, this is my show. <laughs> I need to hit. I need to hit them. Apologies. Yeah. Um, I just got to sleep. I'll go through faster. The other ones that you guys got stuff to do, but no, 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 not at all. That wasn't. No, yeah, that that, that wasn't meant to cut you off at all. <laughs> Sorry, I thought you were done. <laughs> Maybe Darren and I could talk afterwards. Maybe yeah. we can make some changes. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Already made the changes. They're already gone. He yeah. didn't like me. He didn't like me after Fins that. Out. He didn't like me after that Seahawks uh, comment. Yeah. So I was expecting that. I thought you were going to get to it earlier, to be honest with you. Um, okay. So waking up. Bam, we're awake. Um, hydration is important. The typical number we say is half an ounce per pound of body weight. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't track things like that, but if you wanted to have a rough idea. So if you weigh 200 pounds, that's 100 ounces. Of water throughout the day, right? Okay. okay. I, most people they're not going to track their water. I don't think you really need to. But mm. if you just start the day and you the first couple of hours, you just try to basically chug a ton, ton of water, and then just try to keep a water. So I will always keep water visual mm-hmm. and make it appealing. So if you don't have a water bottle in front of you, you won't drink water. If it's there, you're more likely to take a sip. If you put a little bit of flavor in it you're more likely. So just take a, a cucumber or throw a strawberry. Just grab a strawberry, throw it in your water bottle. You'll get that like, ooh, like hotel water. Flavor, you know? mm-hmm. like, it, it just takes no time whatsoever. You're mm-hmm. more likely to drink it with some flavor in it. So do that. Um, you know the number, but just try to stay more diligent about um, the fluid intake. From there, the 90% of food. Typically, uh, people do a little bit better when they eat more often, but it's not always the case. Some folks are just fine. So frequency of food, I don't really care about too much for non-athletes. Mm. It's not a huge deal. Some people thrive on different systems. This is okay. What you need to have, though, is a plan. And I don't mean your meals have to be pre-prepped necessarily or planned, but you need to have a conceptual framework of where you're trying to go so that you don't have breakfast one day and then the next day you don't, and then the next day you're – that kind of inconsistency creates havoc and problems. Mm-hmm. You do not have to have the same thing every day or planned out. You just have to have an idea of, number one, where's my protein coming from? Mm-hmm. You want to have protein at every feeding. Mm. That can be from animal. It could be from plant-based protein. I don't care. But the first thing in your brain is, where's my protein? Right. Second thing in your brain is, where are my vegetables? Mm. Right? And if you handle those two things, everything else pretty much works itself out. Okay. There is okay. a mostly fresh whole food, 
as often as you can. Um, you want, of course, fresh fruits, but fresh whole real foods. If you handle your protein, handle your vegetables, whatever else goes on your plate, it's fine right. for the most part. Um, so those, but those are like the big rocks. You, you want a lot of variety of colors in your food. Mm-hmm. So you want all of the purples and yellows and greens and oranges. All that stuff is great. If you want to get way more detailed about nutrition, you certainly can. But those are the very big things. Fresh food, be somewhat consistent with your um, eating routine. Try not to get into big swings of hunger, mm-hmm. which tends to be problematic. Um, <laughs> control your stimulants. So people uh, will see very large responses mm-hmm. when they get off gallons of stimulants a day. You'll feel a lot better. Um, caffeine is okay, but it needs to be used diligently. Right. I, I'll put it this way. The, the fastest way that I improve people's sleep quality is almost always reduction of caffeine. Caffeine, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Or caffeine-related stimulants, mm-hmm. huh. uh, energy drinks, things like that. No offense to anybody drinking an energy drink. <laughs> yeah, I just have one a day. Tyler's notorious for his energy drinks. It's, it's, not, it's not a good strategy. It really no, is. I think the term is addict. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what you're looking yeah. for. Um, you're better off going with teas and okay. herbs and uh, coffees and things like that. Um, it's fine. One a day is not going to kill you, but if it's, uh, I'll put it this way. If you feel like you have to have caffeine in the morning to not be a jerk, mm-hmm. that's, that's a very strong physiological sign. Okay. Really? Whoops. Not a good thing. Whoops. I'm there. <laughs> Been there for the last year. If yeah. you're the whole like, don't talk to me until my first cup of coffee sort of thing, like Oh, cut down. Remember earlier? No wonder you you're said, such a dick, Darren. <laughs> <laughs> Your physiology's all off. Remember earlier when we were talking about resilient versus sensitive? Yeah. You've lost resiliency. Mm-hmm. You're way sensitive now. Like if you don't have uh-huh. this this fix, you don't you can't function without that. Uh, you know, and this is just that that just happened to me too over the last year. It, it, uh, actually, during fun, COVID, right? over during during COVID, I can't, I won't function anymore without having a cup of coffee. Yeah. So huh. you need to reset that process. Yeah. What is that? What does that look like? And and can you can your body reset with? Yeah. You know the it, it, it's not That's like okay. yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Caffeine caffeine is very um, transient in that way where okay. you can be able to develop tolerances and insensitivities very quickly. Okay. Mm. Very okay. quickly. Mm. So if you were to do seven days, oh. you'd probably, you know, see a pretty big thing. You can, you can, you, okay. You can do this one of two ways. You can rip the bandaid off mm. or you can titrate. So you can do something like, all right, I'll start with three quarters calf. So mm. kind of mix a little bit of decaf in there. So you, you won't even notice the difference. Right. And then slowly work your way to half calf something like that mm-hmm. and then maybe slow your way to okay i'll have it but not for the first two hours of the day so i'll get through my morning routine i'll get up i'll get working and then two hours in the day then i'll actually go for some caffeine and and get a that's sort of so there's different ways you can do it depending on your personality trait right. i prefer to just like just rip it off yeah yeah okay but um but that's up to you um the other thing was we'd go back and we'd figure out why mm. right so sometimes it's just because you just had too much caffeine early in the morning and you just gradually built that up and now you sort of have this tolerance. But other times it's things like, we see this pretty consistently with people who take uh, supplements for sleep. Uh, you tend to be very, very, very groggy in the morning. Yep. And so you feel like you need more caffeine. So you have more caffeine throughout the day that makes your sleep quality worse. So then you have more sleep cocktails mm. and you feel groggy and you end up in this cycle. Um, we actually just had some blood work come back from a 
a really high level guy uh, recently whose melatonin levels in his blood mm-hmm. were a hundred times the upper limit. Oh. Not double, a hundred times. So he was walking around sedated all day. Oh. Basically, he was smashing caffeine like every two hours. More caffeine, more caffeine, more caffeine. Jeez. Then, of course, you don't fall asleep at night. So what do you do? Melatonin, yeah. Bingo, right? And yeah. he was just, just a mess. Oh, and the host of downstream problems with testosterone, uh, estrogen, progesterone, he was a wreck because of this. And I'm like, stop. You, you got to stop the five milligrams. Man, that's, that's interesting. And I, like, you got to get off this stuff. So we, we see that, honestly, that was extreme. But we see that problem very commonly with people who just prophylactically take sleep things. Um, there's no free passes in physiology. So anytime you start taking a supplement, that might be safe, quote unquote, but that doesn't mean it's not making your system worse. So it's not going to cause you a disease or kidney problems or anything, but it could be making you feel worse mm-hmm. because you don't understand the true downstream effects. So, so you mentioned supplements. So, um, are there, you know, you you're you're walking us through, you know, basics of nutrition and okay, hey, what are the benchmarks that you really need to focus on? But on supplementation, are there are there recommendations that you have in a general aspect to say, okay, hey, look, if you are no. The, none? No. no. Because um, once you understand the consequences, mm. um, it, it's very hard to do those in good faith. It's give you general recommendations in good faith. I know it's kind oh, of general rec- recommendations. Okay. It's, want, it's like, case by case. Good. Yeah, um, okay. with one exception, probably like a general multivitamin. Okay. It's probably just fine. Okay. Um, if you get things from food, you're fine. Mm-hmm. Anything taken in the concentrations and the combinations you'll find in food, you're almost always fine. Okay. But you start taking things that have been pharmacologically developed at really high concentrations in forms, types, and in combinations that um, I don't want to say not natural because that doesn't really matter but that you wouldn't find in foods, um, you're running a little bit of risk here. Now, many supplements are not very risky. Mm-hmm. Things like vitamin D, very low risk. Mm-hmm. Very, very low risk. You're probably just fine. Vitamin C. If you're taking very small amounts of these things, um, they're transient. You're going to pee out any vitamin C you don't take, 500 milligrams. These are not risky. But, I'll mm-hmm. but even the things like the vitamin D, We've seen this a number of times from folks. Um, if you don't get these from high-quality sources, you could be having uh, up to a million times the actual amount of vitamin D in the pill that it does in the bottle. And so we've seen this very commonly. You think you're taking a thousand IU's, and really you're taking more like a million IU's a day. Mm. So the supplement stuff is—I um, I wouldn't call it dangerous, but I, again, I'd say like if you're not feeling great. Um, yeah, you got to really know you. who you're buying from. Yeah. It needs to be a, a um, third quality. Any supplement that is third, what we call third party certified, your risk is a lot lower. Okay. Um, there's a lot of third party certifications. And if you just look for supplements and you Google that, you'll see NSF, Informed Choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole host of these things. And your risk goes down exponentially when you get something that's great. Mm-hmm. Um, now, just because a supplement isn't third party certified doesn't mean it's bad. I know a lot of companies that I think make excellent things that they don't have certification. Um, so there's no guarantee there, but it hedges your bets, right? If you're buying things um, from really small companies and you're buying it and it looks like it's half the price. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Like, there's probably a reason, there, right? Yeah. So quality control is lower. 
accidents are higher in the uh, factory and you know, just things like that. So mm. um, my general answer is food first, mm. yeah. lifestyle first. If you think you have a vitamin D problem, get more sunlight. Mm. These are the better answers. If you want general recommendation, that's where I tell people to start. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. if you um, if you think your problem has become more advanced, then you need to seek out somebody, maybe get some diagnostics before you start taking this stuff. Okay. Um, but for the most part, if you do these big things I'm talking about, 85% of people, you're going to feel a lot better. Right. Yeah. right? If there's some stress management strategy, whatever, whatever this could be, if there's some exercise, physical activity practice, if there's some semblance of high-quality nutrition, if you have control of your sleep, the vast majority of people, the magnitude of effect is so much higher than the magnitude of effect of supplementation. Mm-hmm. And now you're also cutting out that whole risk. Mm-hmm. So it just it doesn't make any sense for me to give people a general supplement recommendation um, when I could say, like, it's, it's why waste the money on things that are free, yeah, right, right, that yeah. are more effective, that are the starting places. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's certainly a list of six or eight supplements that I'll use very commonly like very commonly that I share with you, but um, yeah. I really don't like that because it just tends to make people spend money and they're mm-hmm. emphasizing the wrong things. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, so after, I'm not going to give you a magnesium supplement if you aren't showing me you're, you're, you're working out three days a week. Right, right, right. After asking that question and, and hearing your answer, um, I apologize. That was a stupid question, and I and I feel really I'll, dumb. I'll take but, that apology in written form, please. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. I'll uh, start drafting that now. Uh, but that really does make sense, and, and and that's really important. I think for everyone to hear is is look, just because your buddy says that you know he's taking all these things and he says take this, that is not yeah. a record. That is not right for you. Every person is case by case, and and really, as you're creating a plan for your health, whatever, talk to somebody that is educated that that can scientifically back yeah. up their their recommendations. And you hear from one of the leading experts globally, if not the leading expert globally. Look, I can't tell you, I can't even give you the best three things. Okay, hey, you like a protein supplement or this or that? No, it's specific to you, and there are, there are better ways to do it, but you have to actually dig into it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so my recommendation is to go one of two directions. So direction one is, is don't do any testing, don't do any purchasing of these things, and try to fix things with lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I, and I can't say that enough. I know it's the answer that everyone's like, skip, like fast forward five seconds. What's the next? <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. We're looking for the quick fix, yeah. but, but yeah. what you just no said question. is sustainable. With all the athletes I've worked with, with all the years, those factors still are the starting places. Right. Yeah. I will not hand a single supplement to an athlete for months, mm-hmm. months, like and, and six weeks would be the earliest because until we figure out all the other stuff, Right. I'm not I playing this that. game at all. Yeah. We don't, we don't do that. this. And if they don't make those changes, then I'm like, peace. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll get you. Like, we're not interested in the same thing because Man. that's how powerful these things are. Yeah. Right. I yeah, and there's so much to talk about. Like, you know, I, I want to go down the road of inflammation at, at some yeah. point. Um, and, oh, yeah. and, and, you know, I know we don't, we'll run out of time here, but I, what I want to do is I want you to ask your, your question last, ben, uh, ben, and that's coming up here. But I, the question, one of the last questions I had was, Tell us a quick story of someone that you've seen go from, you know, point A to Z and has seen a miraculous recovery when, in some of the steps that they took to get there. Oh, oh geez. Uh, man. Um, <laughs> Where to begin? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
maybe um uh i mean it depends on what and i have so many it depends on what area you want to get to. it doesn't matter just fine just you know it could be just a you know um just general pop or it could be an athlete well we've seen like uh okay so here, here's some good examples i guess is um we have tripled people's testosterone in a matter of probably eight to 10 weeks mm. with no supplementation, really? no hormones at all. Yeah. And we, we've done that like more than a few times. Wow. Wow. Um, so I, I would say, can't give you names here. Right. But sure. It just as I almost don't want to say this. So let me do a little bit of a preface, but um, this is not normal and this is not like, Oh, if everyone does this, you're going to have the same thing. Right. Okay. Um, but the gut microbiome is very important. Mm. And we're learning much more about the microbiome, oxidative stress, inflammation, all these things. And so one, some of the things that are very clear in, in these examples, if, um, if you have a bacterial overgrowth in your gut, if you've got opportunistic bacteria, if you've got parasites or other things going on, you could be totally asymptomatic. Which means you, you don't you think you're you're fine, and there have been plenty of cases where we've run, you know, the, the full spectrum of hair, blood, stool, all this stuff, and we've come back and we've seen things like, actually Dallas, this has happened in Dallas, um, everything looked fantastic, but we found this individual was very sensitive to a specific type of wood in his neighborhood, hmm. and once uh, we like basically installed some different filters. Uh, not, not not crazy filters in his house to to get that stuff out of there. His testosterone doubled. Wow! Just from being yeah. sensitive to the woods that were in his house. What? Wow! <laughs> that's amazing. Again, that's not like that's, yeah. that's not, yeah. not common. Sure, um, sure. We've seen the similar things with mold. Uh, we've seen similar things with food sensitivities. So you're, I, I've had some athletes that get crazy high. Scent. My wife actually, bless her heart, like avocados, are a massive inflammatory marker. Mm. Mm. Huh. She doesn't feel anything. She doesn't feel different, but it shoots her oxidative stress numbers through the roof. Mm-hmm. So, like, we have to just remove things. So, there's simple, simple things like that, and that can really an- elevate a number of things. But testosterone is the one that people will, like, they'll be able to grab onto that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, the tripling of it, though, we have seen certain things like the, the the parasitic infections. You get those, you get those things cleared up, and what happens is uh, they regulate nutrient absorption. So food is part what you eat, but then also what of that food that you eat is actually absorbed. Mm. And if you have problems with the part of your body that's trying to digest and break down mm. the nutrients so you can actually absorb them in a tissue, then you have limitations there. So we see commonly things like B6 and B12 are uh, very low. And you start going like, why is your B6 low? You're eating a lot of foods that have enough B6 and B12. So you're, it's coming in, but it's not getting this. There's a lot of reasons it could be. But in some of the examples I'm thinking of right now, in this case, he had some, um, a couple of parasitic infections, uh, one parasitic infection, a couple of bacterial overgrowths in the stomach. Got those cleared up. Those ones we actually know have a relationship with vitamin B6 and B12 absorption. So those things shot up. Why those are important is they regulate the conversion of tryptophan to serotonin. Tryptophan, serotonin is the thing that makes you fall asleep at night. So by just fixing the stomach bacteria, his serotonin levels went up, melatonin levels went up. Because of that, his sleep quality went way up. Those also directly connect eventually down to testosterone as well. So the testosterone levels, once we cleared up the cortisol, mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And testosterone shot way up because cortisol and testosterone tend to work antagonistically to each other. Mm-hmm. And cortisol is supposed to give you this giant rise to wake you up, and then it goes down at night, and that's why you go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And people who are highly stressed have really high cortisol at night, so they stay up at night. Right. So when we removed the stress from a system, in this case, it, was, it wasn't even a psychological stress. It wasn't an emotional stress. It wasn't a physical training stress. It was what we call a hidden stress. We removed that, and it, everything cleared up. All we had to do was get that parasite out of there, which was a fairly quick fix, and everything cleared up. Testosterone tripled wow. a couple of months. No supplementation wow. other than the gut stuff, and and everything's gone. That's so wild. that's a specific example. Um, and so, you know, like I don't want people to think like, oh, it's all my gut, it's all my gut. It's all yeah, my gut. Right. sure. That's not always the case. We have a lot of other root causes, mm-hmm. but but that can't happen. Right. Yeah. Not only is Andy a doctor, a scientist, uh, a a sports uh, sports uh, training genius. He's also a detective. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, but does it feel like that sometimes, right? Okay, hey, well, we're, we're, we're going through and we're f- trying to solve this mystery that's going on and it could be a million different things. I literally use that in our, like the initial paperwork where mm-hmm. people, like we, have, we do a very detailed lifestyle analysis. Mm-hmm. It's almost as important, I would argue generally more important than the, the actual metrics we take mm-hmm. yeah. um, from the body. And in that language, I tell them, if you do this poorly and do a low level of detail, it's like asking a detective to solve a murder crime and you're just like, oh, I think it was kind of over there. Yeah, right. Yeah. If you give me more clues, yeah, I can get very good at figuring out what's going on. Right. If you don't, I'm in the dark. That's so awesome. I literally, that's what we use, detectives. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. But one thing I did want to touch on before we wrap up here is training, strength training, resistance training, mm-hmm. uh, especially for the general population because – this is the thing that we, you know, we work in an office building. This is the thing we hear the most is people are scared to strength train. A, they don't know what to do, but B, they think, oh, I don't want to get big and bulky. And so yeah. can you just talk about the importance of resistance training for anybody and its relation to longevity and health over time? Yeah, we got another hour. Yeah. yeah, I guess uh, yes, that was kind of a Pandora's always. box of, of a question. Yeah, no, um, unfortunately I don't. But, uh, I mean, geez, the list is unending when it comes to general exercise, um, maybe I'll hit you with this because this is going to be part of my last kind of uh, wrap-up piece. Um, when it comes to the exercise portion, if you do the following things, you're going to generally have a very high quality of health, high quality of life. Um, depending on the person, you would make them in more individualized, but this is the nodes. This is the things you want to shoot for. So you need to do something that requires you to move without stopping for at least 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. All this cardio, call it whatever you want. I don't call it that, but if you want that to be swimming, if you want that to be cycling or rowing, I don't really care. No stopping, sustained output for 30 minutes. Okay. Very important. You need to do something that challenges a close to a maximum heart rate. Okay. So this could be cycling class, could be spin class, could be, you know, a CrossFit, could be circuit training. Could be any number of things, intervals on the beach, whatever, but something that takes your heart up to a high level or close to high level. That's number two. Number three, something that challenges your muscles to work to a burn. Mm. Okay, because again, mostly strength training here. Could be body weight stuff, could be, you know, body weight squats, could be walking lunges, could be planks. So every kind of muscle group needs to be worked to a pretty hard burn. Mm. Number four, 
you have to do something that makes you produce high amounts of force. So something heavy, mm-hmm. right? And you want to do the major movement pattern. So you want to do upper body press, upper body pull, lower body press, lower body pull, right? So you can press vertically, like above your head. You can press away from you, like a bench or a chest. You can do like a bent row, which is a horizontal pull, or a lat pull down, or a pull up, which is a vertical pull. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter, right? And then you could do you could do dumbbells, kettlebells, barbells. All mm-hmm. that stuff is kind of noise, right? And then you need to do something. The final one is that requires you to move fast. And this is the one that folks that stop playing sports tend to forget. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We always say, as soon as you stop jumping, you start aging. <sighs> okay. So you got to do something that makes you move fast. And there's very specific reasons for that, for aging. We know scientifically that when you lose the fast twitch fibers, the, the ones that make you contract at these high velocities and high force, they don't come back. And wow. you only activate them by doing something heavy. And you need these because things like foot speed, funny enough, but foot speed is one of the strongest predictors of things like a falling and breaking a hip with age. Mm. Because if you trip, you have to have the speed mm-hmm. and power to get your foot out in front of you and catch yourself in the fall. Interesting. Right. So your likelihood of going into assisted living homes goes up sharply when you start losing speed and power. Uh, We also see that the physical activity with aging goes down as soon as leg strength goes down. Because it now becomes like a one rep max squat to just stand up every time. Right. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the things that are the largest predictors of health, and this is not me, this is science, we're talking large studies of hundreds of thousands of people. What predicts mortality? And I like these studies because it's death, right? Who died, who didn't die. Right. Like who had high blood pressure, who who died. Mm -hmm. The things that pop up routinely are number one, VO2 max. So this is cardiovascular, right? This is heart rate. Mm -hmm. How much work can you do when your heart rate's really, really high? Mm -hmm. No question about it, right? Number two, total amount of leg muscle. People who don't have muscle in their legs tend to die soon. Wow. Number three, leg strength. Mm -hmm. Number four, grip strength. Huh. And it's just because it's a surrogate of general strength. Okay. And number five, total amount of muscle. Total amount of muscle is one of them. Those things tend, here's the thing is they tend to kick the crap out of things like cholesterol, out of things like blood pressure, out That's of things like amazing. heart disease. If you look at predictors of yeah. death, those things will win every single time really? telling you who's going to die faster. Not even close. Wow. Mm-hmm. Thank you for, thank you for even that. Even diabetes, Seriously. even smoking. Wow. These ones lose, those lose out to like VO2 max and leg strength. They're very, very strong predictors of longevity. Wow. I guess yeah. I didn't realize it was that. I mean, I it's knew bad. I yeah, knew how important bad. it was. I didn't realize I didn't know that context though. Yes. Yeah. So let me finish the application stuff just so that they can yep. leave home here with something. Um, all those things I laid out, the long distance stuff, the, the to the burn, to the speed, those don't need to be in a single day, of course. Mm-hmm. You could split them up however you'd like. You could combine multiple into one session. You could do them, you know, in any order throughout the week. Those things for general people, they don't matter that much. Just 
make your list and say, okay, um, what I tend to recommend people doing is to start, right? So today I'm going to do, I'll do the, the burn thing and I'll do the intervals. Okay, that makes sense. Let's right. do like you just do a circuit with kettlebells and some other stuff. You probably get multiple of those. Check that box, 20-minute mm-hmm. workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, tomorrow I will do some, uh, some speed work, maybe some jumps, and then I'll do some heavy lifting. Cool. Check those things off. And then the next day I'll do uh, you know, whatever else is left. I'll do a, a long bike ride. Done. Got all that done in three workouts. Right. So I'm oh. not talking like two hours a day, six days a week. Right. No, 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 no. Just like try to think about throughout the week. Um, I'll do this a lot of times when you're like, I just feel cooked today. Like I am not about to go do some intervals. Like no chance. Like maybe I'll do an upper body lift. Right. Okay. Maybe I'll, I, I can always convince myself to do some curls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. <laughs> or I'll go, I'll go ride the bike. We'll take an extra long walk today. And that'll be my, that'll be my 30, 30 minutes. minutes. Piece. Yeah. At least I got that. Right. Yeah. And the next day you kind of back and say, okay, now I need to do my heavy lifting because you know, I got this other piece. In, whatever God, piece. Right. That's so good, man. That, that that lays it out to where anybody can understand it. That is so, that's the yeah. best answer I've ever heard to that question. Eliminates that a lot of awesome. the guilt as well. Yeah. I mean, totally. if you got a plan, you eliminate that guilt and you, at least you can follow, you know, the simplicity of that. Yeah. yeah. That's all it takes folks. Like you just do that and you, you do things well. Um, you're going to be fine. I love it. I love it. I think that's a perfect place to, to, to wrap it up for this time. If man, if you didn't get any value out of this one, I don't know. You're not breathing because that was, uh, that was awesome, man. Thank you so much. And, and you're so intelligent and it's clear that you've done your homework, but you're able to explain it in such easy terms for, for dumb dummies like us to be able to understand. So man, this was awesome. We appreciate you so much. If, if people want to find you, where can people find you? Instagram, you've got your own YouTube channel. Where else can people connect with you? Yeah, um, Instagram and Twitter are, of course, the easiest place for me to put out the science stuff, and that's, that's basically what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, Twitter is, if you like the direct links to the studies and stuff, well, that's the easier spot to put them. I ain't changing my link in my bio on Instagram every <laughs> six hours. <laughs> Sorry. Right. Um, my YouTube channel, though, it's, it's all free. Um, I, I try to take all of this stuff and all the material I use for all my classes, it's all on YouTube free. Mm. Love it. Okay. So my, my, my goal there, my mission is uh, this basic exercise and health stuff. You know, um, it's a big deal across the world mm-hmm. and I don't want money, access, ability to get into a classroom. Um, I didn't have the prereqs. I don't think those should stand in the way of people understanding the very basics of nutrition, strength training from somebody that they, they can trust, right? At least by name. So uh, I'll just continue to make those videos free. Just put them all out there. And, yeah. and that's all there. So you got hundreds of hours of um, some more basic, some more sciencey, but I kind of put stuff out there, you know, that's open access. So yeah. That's mm-hmm. always there for free. Um, yeah. And well, we can speak to the YouTube channel. I mean, you got, you've got five minute videos and, and, and it's condensed and it's nice and easy to digest. And that's what we loved. Yeah. Loved about your YouTube channel and your website. I also so. got three-hour videos, too. So. Yeah, well, you got both. You got, you got something for everybody, which is awesome. So, man, yeah. we so much yeah. appreciate your, your insight. We appreciate you jumping on today. I know you're yeah. a busy man. So thank you so much for jumping on. This was awesome, man, and, and we really appreciate it. And are you, are you has, is there a way that, you know, well, I'll, we could talk offline because I definitely want to reach out to you, Dr. Andy. I just I think there's something that I can I can build on. 
And I'm trying to find that. Look, I'm never going to be, it's never going to be perfect, but I'm mm-hmm. trying to find that quality of, as I age, I'm trying to find the quality of life. So uh, I'll reach out on the, on the backside here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's do that one offline. Yep. Yeah. For sure. Awesome, Doc, man. we hey, appreciate it. I ain't it. trying to find out what's in your gut right now, man. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dude. Why not? <laughs> Just so long. Well, thanks again, Doc. We, we really appreciate your time today. Yeah. My pleasure, guys. All right. All right. Thanks, man.